What's up, everybody? It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my partner in crime, my brother from another mother, Jim Cross. And Jim, tonight it's episode 13, titled Dog of All Trades, because in a few minutes we're going to be talking to our guest, who is a Mississippi State athletics expert. He's a best-selling author and the host of the Boneyard Podcast, Mr. Steve Robertson. But before Steve joins us, Jim, it's no surprise to anyone that we highlight Mississippi State athletes. We had 11 of them on the show. We're partnering with a new company that, you know, they're highlighting Mississippi State athletics, man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, so out there, man, there's the Bellsmith the best in the game. They obviously make bells that are related to Mississippi state, but they make them in every way, shape or form. Daniel. So the unique bells you can get for the Bulldogs, they have a line of game day bells. They have premium artillery, grand slam, lefty pirate, swashbuckler, junction bells, you name it. They're the best in the business. They made one for me. They made one for Landon Sims, Cameron James, Will Bednar, the list goes on. They've made special custom bells for everybody. They can make whatever you need, whatever you want. So with that, if you listen to our 11 episodes and you send it to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram page, as well as like any of those pages, we're going to be giving away two custom-made bells that are like none other. Yeah, one-of-a-kind bells from good people, quality, whether it's you just wanting to support your team or you want to uh, – keepsake or commemorative reach out to the bellsmith they'll hook you up they'll get you covered for whatever cause that you want to put on it whatever team you want to put on it you name it they got you the hook up jim man let's dive into this it's a big one tonight help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview in podcasting this week mississippi state athletics expert best-selling author and the host of the boneyard podcast mr steve robertson Steve, a man, what's up? How are we doing tonight? Man, I'm doing great. You know, it's uh, we're close to National Signing Day for football, you know, so there's not a lot of sleep these days as we're kind of scouring, uh, you know, the message boards and calling sources and calling players and calling coaches. And uh, there's never any end to what we have to do at this point in the year. But, yeah, that's why we love it, though, right? I mean, you know, it's a soap opera for college football fans and, and so we love all that stuff. And so we're working hard to get the most accurate information we possibly can. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's gotta be exciting, you know, during this time of the season where like it's, it's a mad dash, it's a race, it's, it's digging, it's grinding, it, it's talking to people. And really I, I find it like investigative work. Like you guys are trying to like get the scoop before it happens and be the first one to put it out there, but not only the first, but, the accurate story so what yeah yeah what what is it like just you know being as busy as you are but also you know i gotta ask you're a big music guy i see ace on your instagram i see nita strauss i see alice cooper so talk to me a little bit about the music background i mean you know uh, on the podcast you can't see the video but you you got the tats you got the look like um Tell me about music and, and how big of an influence it plays in your life. 
Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I always have music going on. And, uh, you know, for me, I guess it, what it really all started was, uh, you know, I'm a child of the 70s. You know, I'm from the 1900s, you know, so I'm old, I guess. But, uh, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, man, Kiss was everything. I mean, it's like everywhere you looked, everywhere you saw them. I mean, and, you know, there was there was movies, there was lunch boxes, there was garbage cans. I mean, Kiss was on everything. And and then in addition to all that, they also made some really cool music. And uh, Ace Frehley was my guy, man. Space Ace was the guy for me. And got a chance to see him recently uh, solo for the second time right down front. And and uh, it was really cool. Right after he played the uh, solo to shock me, he handed me his guitar pick. And and so kind of a pretty cool moment. You know, seven-year-old me would be incredibly pleased by that. But, uh, you know, 49-year-old me was pretty pumped, too. But I'm always uh, going to shows. I used to go to about a show a month before the world went crazy. And uh, yeah, I'm starting to kind of get back to it. I mean, you know, we're not quite as fearful, but still trying to be a little careful, you know, when we can be. But I mean, I'm in, I'm in crowds all the time, whether it be a ball game or a concert. But, you know, rock shows are like that place that uh, kind of like Bodie and Point Break talked about with surfing. You know, it's a place where you lose yourself and you find yourself and it reminds you why you work so hard and put up with so much BS, you know, as a chance to go be a kid for a while and just kind of enjoy some live music. Yeah, I I absolutely can resonate with all the words that you're saying coming from a guy whose first concert was ACDC um, and watching Angus and Brian Johnson go through the crowd and giving them a high five while Angus is on Brian Johnson's shoulders just playing throughout the stadium. It was awesome. So, um I, I, I feel you and, and I get it, man. And music, there's nothing better. But if you had to choose one album that you could, that would just be your album, maybe it's the soundtrack of your life. What, what album are you choosing? That's a great question. It's something that I've pondered many times and it probably depends on when you ask me. Um, you know, I would, um, let me give you a top three and then we'll work down to one. Okay, okay. so... I, so of the more modern rock, I would say Shine Down, Sound of Sound of Madness. You, you got a good Memphis boy in there with Zach Myers. Um, number two, I would go with, and this is kind of controversial. I would go with Ozzy's Ultimate Sin album. I think the Jakey e. Lee years were actually the best Ozzy solo years. I know that I'm in the minority, but I am who I am. And then number one, I would probably go Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil. I think that is uh, that was their breakthrough album and. To this day, I still think it holds true. Yeah, it's got some 80s, uh, you know, characteristics to it, but it is a great rock album. And, you know, a lot of other people would tell you Appetite for Destruction, Led Zeppelin IV, uh, Metallica's, uh, you know, Master of Puppets. So they're all great albums and favorites of mine, too. But, you know, they're just some songs and some artists that speak to me more than others. And so that would probably be my top three. So, you know, you, you mentioned Shinedown, you mentioned Zach Myers, uh, got a connection with him growing up with Jim and I, and he spent many, many a nights uh, spending the night over at Jim's house, uh, weekdays, weekends, what a, what a great guy. Um, nice to see him grow from Zach Myers' band and, and, and work his way into where he's at now. But I, I got to ask you, Beatles documentary just came out. Um, don't know if you had a chance to to take it. It's, it's pretty long, but where do the Beatles stack up in regards to maybe not just on your list or where they fall for you, but like in regards to the evolution of music, where do, where do the Beatles fall? 
Well, the first thing I would say is Zach Myers owes me an autograph. Um, I went to a meet and greet in Tupelo at the Bancor South Arena. And because he was so close to home, he went home to Memphis. So I forgive him for that. But everybody <laughs> else on, and that's back when Nick Perry was with the band. And so I got Nick's autograph. I got Brent. I got Barry. Um, you know, and then I don't have Zach. And, uh, mm. and so I got some friends that are like, Oh man, yeah, I'm really good friends with Zach. Well, dude, hook me up. You know, it's like let, let me let me get together here and get this resolved. I mean, I mean, I've got three Shine Down tattoos. I've got the Shine Down Junkies for Fame avatar on my my two four seven profile. It's been there for ten years. There's not a bigger Shine Down fan in the state of Mississippi. So, Zach, if you're watching, holler at your boy. Uh, I got, I got you taken. I got you taken care of, and and I'll tell you what, my dad's actually got the best autograph. It's hanging in his garage. It is it is a Zach Myers autograph that says to him afterward. It says, and a Big Al, which is my dad's name, he called him. You got the best breakfast in Memphis because we were living in Memphis at the time. So he's got a Zach Myers autograph with the with the co-signing of saying he's got the best breakfast in Memphis. You know, it's crazy. I've met Zach Myers' son, but I haven't met Zach Myers. I'm at a <laughs> show. And uh, Gary, you know, Gary, I can't remember the name of Gary's podcast, Gary out of Memphis. I was on his show a lot, um, you know, during the Hugh Freeze stuff. But so I go to a show and there's Zach's kid, you know, walking around out in the crowd with his headphones on. And I'm like, Gary, dude, can I, can I get on a guest list? Something. I mean, you know, it's like usually when I go to shows, I, when I go to shows at clubs, I don't even have to ask. I, I don't like I'm in a band, so nobody says anything. I just walk backstage. But uh <laughs> But no, it's great, man. I love Zach and uh, I love their music, man. I've, I've been a fan since the beginning and um, to watch them go from being, you know, kind of opening act at clubs to being a headliner. It's very rewarding because, I mean, when you meet those guys and you're around them, you kind of realize how much they appreciate their fans. And I think Brent Smith is the best vocalist in the game today. I could talk about Shinedown all day, but um but to your Beatles question, I haven't watched the documentary yet, but I've got some friends who are Beatles fanatics who are like, dude, you would love this. I did watch Above Us Only Sky, which was about the recording of Imagine, and it was phenomenal to watch the Beatles uh, kind of sit there and just talk together. I've got so many people that have said, even if you don't love the Beatles, you'll love this documentary. And that's when I have spare time, when I'm not watching, uh, you know, binge watching some series, I'm watching music docs because I like to know the stories behind the songs. You know, I mean, it's like, there are some songs that are best left for personal interpretation, but I like to know what the artist fully intended. I mean, I write poetry, I write songs and things like that to express myself. And I had a book of poetry come out earlier this year. And it's so funny, like you write what's on your heart and then other people say, well, hey, well, what were you, what were you, what were you thinking here? And I'm like, I don't really want to, I want to tear that from you. You know, like if what you feel is correct, I mean, I don't want to take that from you. But I've had so many people that have like, you know, I read this, this is what I hear, this is what I see. And as an artist and as a uh, person that kind of puts his heart in everything, I appreciate other people's interpretation of the work. But when you see the creative process for people who are absolute geniuses, it's very inspirational. So yeah, it's on my list. Let me get through signing day and I plan to, to sit down and watch that in its entirety and, and just kind of be inspired by the greats. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a good glimpse behind the velvet rope, so to speak, of, you know, what it was like with them, you know, coming up with riffs, coming up with the lyrics, the songs, and even putting songs together in a matter of minutes. 
um it, it's it's really spectacular it's it's unbelievable if you're a music fan i would highly suggest you know when you get when you get a free moment to to check it out i, I think you would enjoy it um but you know the music we could talk music all night but we got you for a brief time so i want to dive into some of the sports i want to get into all things mississippi state um we want to get into your podcast we want to get into the books man um but before we do that i just want to get a backstory on steve robertson man talk to me where are you from and you know what was it like growing up and how did you really get into where you're at right now well that's um that's a great question so i was born in canton mississippi and then my parents split when I was about 15 months old. So I was basically raised by my grandparents until I was eight in a town called Columbia, Mississippi. We just won the 4A state championship this Saturday. And I was there in person to rep the hometown. And, uh, you know, with, despite all this other stuff, man, the books, the website, the podcasts, and, you know, people ask to get my picture made. But I'm still that same old boy from South Mississippi, man. I love going and back and, and, uh, and being with my people. You know, there's nothing better than that. And so... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've always had the ability to kind of express myself through written word. And I, and I found out pretty early, I had a lot to say. And, you know, whether it be in writing competitions in school or being invited to be on a newspaper staff or, you know, write for the creative writing magazine and things like that, I've always done it. And so, you know, eventually, uh, it kind of transformed itself. You know, I wanted to be in bands. I wanted to write music. That's who the people inspired me. And so I went to junior college actually to play soccer and then as soon as I get there, they decided not to have a team. So I'm just kind of stuck. So I thought I would drink a little. And, uh, you know, eventually I uh, decided I would go out there and, and uh, have some fun. I was old enough to get in clubs then. And, and so got into dance music for a while. And, uh, you know, the girls that I wanted to date were listening to that kind of music. So I adapted. And next thing you know, I, I became a stage dancer with a band out of Baton Rouge called uh, Savello. And uh, you can find our big single on YouTube called This Jam is Cold. And uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I had a very minor part in that operation, but it was some of the greatest times of, uh, you know, my late teens and early 20s. And, uh, you know, in the end, though, it's like I ended up going to drug rehab because, uh, you know, I was just involved in some things I shouldn't have been. And, uh, you know, for me, like, I can never just, like, have a drink. Like, other people say, let's go have a beer and relax. You know, I, you know, I was the kind of guy like everybody's like, hey, listen, we're all, after work. We're all going to go get a couple of beers. And we're just going to chill. I'm the guy that was like, dude, let's go to New Orleans and get some acid. Let's go hire some strippers. You know, it's like if we're going out, let's get our money's worth. You know, I don't want to be that same guy, you know, nursing the same Bud Light long neck every night, you know, looking around at some girl you wish you to talk to later. I mean, I wanted to be center stage out there in the middle of the party. And, and um, you know, it got the better of me. I mean, it did and um, got in some trouble and ended up going to drug rehab in 1991. And if, if I make it to Friday, I'll be 30 years clean and sober. And uh, yeah, man, really proud of that. And, uh, you know, the odds are against us, man. And that's I spent a lot of time kind of advocating for people in recovery. And I spent a lot of time uh, helping other people there. I, you know, at least twice a week, I get a message from somebody you're like, man, my wife's an alcoholic or my kid's into drugs. I don't know what to do. There's so much stigma. People are scared to be open about it. And so they see me and uh, I'm real visible and open and transparent about the, my struggles. And uh, I'm not afraid to help somebody else. And, you know, the sad thing is, is they never stay. You know, it's like they're in my, in my inbox and you give them some information. And sometimes it's just more work than they're willing to, 
to put up with. And, and, uh, but it helps me too. You know, it reminds me, man, the beer will still get you drunk and drugs will still get you high. And, and, and I don't need to ever forget that. And so when I got clean and sober, I really kind of re-embraced writing. This is a way for me to kind of deal with things that I was going through, you know, a way to express yourself. And a lot of stuff I wrote, I never share with anybody. And, and then with the, uh, the gift of the internet, you know, um, you know, I started writing this newsletter, this Pickham's column, just among friends. And it started with uh, among friends. The next thing you know, in like two years time, I got 2,500 people on a mailing list just to read my Pickham column once a week, you know, during the SEC. I mean, I didn't have money to start a website or a webpage. So I just had this email newsletter. And then uh, this guy, Gene Swindoll, had a Mississippi State website. He asked me if I wanted to write for him. And so I did, you know, for, uh, for the King's Ransom of $50 an article. And, um, you know, and now 21 years later, I guess, uh, you know, I've been doing this 21 years now. I've been with Gene for 20 years. And, um, you know, now we're the, the Mississippi State affiliate for CBS Interactive. And, uh, you know, I've got written five books and probably the most recognizable guy in all of Mississippi sports media. And, uh, you know, it all started just me talking trash about SEC teams on email. And so that's how I got here. I plan on staying here and, I'm never going to aspire to go cover the Miami Heat, you know, or the uh, the, the Tennessee Titans or, or anybody like that. This is it for me. This is what, you know, other than being a rock star, this is all I've ever really wanted to do was to cover Mississippi State sports. And, you know, when I first became a writer and I really wanted to take a run at this as a profession, I said, I want to be a sports writer. Well, then I wanted to be a Mississippi State writer. And then I wanted to be the Mississippi State writer. And I think I've been able to achieve all those things. And so, I'm really proud of the work and uh, happy of the, about the work we do. So, yeah, I mean, when you, when you talk about just unpacking a lot of that, that you just said, um, you know, I want to say this, you know, just coming from a guy that has known, you know, people with addiction, that people that are still struggling with addiction, man, I'm proud of you. Really proud Thank of you, you man. To, to hear that story and to know that, you know, you're one of, of many that are out there and, you know, you, you mentioned it, it's, it's hard for people to ask for help. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to, you, you don't want to admit that you have a fault or a, an issue or a problem. And a, a lot of it too is who's going to help me or who wants to help me. So, uh, you know, advocating for those people, man, my hat's off to you. And I know it's a struggle and I know it's tough and it's a new day every day. And um, I think, what you do being a writer is a great way to channel those frustrations and, and channel yourself into positive energy, man. So, um, you know, keep up the good work and just know that there's, there, there's, there's people rooting for you and people that are proud of you. And, you know, anytime that you can give back and help people out, it's always much appreciated on, on this podcast for sure. Um, you you did you did mention writing and, and I gotta ask your your Mississippi State recruiting reporter. Um, obviously, you've been able to you know catch high profile guys commits and talk about stories and really get close to a lot of people. Um, being a Cowboys fan, I gotta ask about Fletcher Cox. I gotta ask about Dak Prescott. On the field, off the field, what kind of guys are they? Well, they're probably better guys off the field than they are on the field, which is wonderful to say in this day and time, because every time you turn around, you know, there's all this gotcha journalism where you're trying to find an athlete in, in, a, in a weak moment where you can kind of tear them down and, 
you know, that's the thing, you know, with Dak, it's like, I tell people, you know, listen, Dak enjoyed college. I mean, okay, he didn't come to Mississippi State and, and he went a Boy Scout. I mean, he had a great time. Uh, but the reality of it is, is this is a guy, too, that really embraced his fans and he embraced young people and he understood his role as a role model and being the face of Mississippi State. And, you know, what's funny is, uh, you know, when I broke his commitment to Mississippi State, there were some people that were so jealous. They said, oh, he didn't really commit. And I just kind of laugh at all that. But, uh, you know, Dak was one of those guys from the beginning, just had this magnetism about him. You know, he he drew people to him. You know, he wanted to win, and he knew in order for him to win, you had to win too. And there are a lot of people that have this, you know, this jealousy, whether it be professional or athletically, and he never possessed that. He knew he had to get the most out of his guys, and so he was as great as he was as a leader, he was an even better teammate to those guys. And, um, you know, I, I remember a story, too, when LSU kind of recruited him late. You know, he went down there and took a visit to kind of make some locals happy. And uh, his mom had kind of cheered for LSU, too, but it was going to be his decision. And so he calls me on the way back from the LSU visit, and he's like, hey, listen, I'm turning my phone off until signing day, but here's my mom's number. So if you need to reach me, call me here. And I said, well, dude, how did the visit go? And he said, the whole time I was down there, I felt like I was cheating on Dan Mullen. And uh, they didn't even stay the full two days. But that, again, that kind of shows his character. I mean, when he made a commitment to Mississippi State, he meant it. And uh, he's an icon in this fan base forever. And Flatch, I mean, what's, so, what's interesting, the first picture that he sent me to set up his recruiting profile was a picture of him in a black Under Armour shirt wearing sunglasses. And I'm like, Fletch, you know, this isn't exactly what we're looking for. He goes, well, that's what I want. So that was his profile picture, him wearing mirrored sunglasses uh, in his profile with his arms crossed like this, you know. Um, but he's a character, man. But, you know, he comes back to Starkville and uh, running to him from time to time. And, he, and he's still the same guy that he was when he was at Yazoo City. And uh, I remember asking him, like, his junior year, I said, so, uh, you know, you go in pro this year after your third year. And he goes, man, I got two years of eligibility left. I don't know. You know, we'll see. And, of course, we all knew he was going to be a first-round draft pick. But he had such a good time here. You know, if, if money wasn't a factory to come back. But the reality of it is, is, you know, we knew that – I don't know that we fully expected him to be what he's become. But we're so incredibly proud for him because it's good to see good people win. And there are a lot of people out there getting paid a king's ransom to play play a kid's game that are just bad people. And the, both of the guys you mentioned are people that, uh, you know, you could you know you could have those people you know sit in your house for a month and, and house it for you and come back and everything be right where it was. I mean, they're just they're quality people, and uh, we're proud to have an association with them. So let me ask you this: you know, is after you see Dak last year, obviously he has a a, a pretty gruesome injury and a lot of people said a lot of different things was there any doubt in your mind that he was going to be able to come back just as good if not better no not no no and it's like i remember so many people like on cowboys twitter were like well that's it that's it and he was playing at an mvp level then i mean he was leading the nfl in passing and was probably shattered the single season record and then he goes down and and just i remember the look of anguish in his face and you and I both know it wasn't about his lag. It was about his team. You know, it was about here I am finally achieving my dream and playing at a high level, being the guy quarterback always wanted to be, and that's been taken from me. But if you know anything about Dak Prescott, there's no way that, that an injury is going to keep him down. He is going to keep back and keep fighting 
for everything. And I'm so happy that he got the big money. That was the thing that I was most worried about is that now people would see him as damaged goods and maybe not give him his fair market value. But that didn't happen. Uh, Dak is, you know, the quarterback of uh, the Cowboys now for the foreseeable future. And, you know, I just wish they could kind of get healthy around them and perhaps they make a run at this thing in the NFC. I mean, they got off such a great start and then you've you had all these bumps in the road. But, uh, you know, it's not Dak. I mean, sure, there are some times that he can play a little bit better, but it's his team. And I think it's I think a Super Bowl is on its way sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, you you look at the NFL um, as a whole, you, you got a couple teams that are sticking out as far as being just pretty dominant from week to week. But for the most part, like, you're seeing it. Anybody can be beat by anybody. It just depends on yep. the week. And, you know, the, the Cowboys are, are no exception to that rule. And, I mean, it's just like any, any NFL game, it's, you're talking about two teams that are the best at what they do. So you, you can't have any off weeks. You, you got to go out there. You got to focus. You got to, you know, do the game plan. If you don't, you're going to get beat. I mean, that's as, as simple as it's put. But it's nice to know. It's nice to hear validation from you that, you know, as a Cowboys fan, like what I think is possible, you know, like you're, you're making it seem that much more real because you know what type of people um, that we're talking about, you know, you know them not just an athletic connection, but a personal friendship that's there. So, um, you know, I'm a big Dak fan. Let me tell you one thing too, that, and, and I think it's important to know this too about Dak. And so when Mississippi State beat UConn in women's basketball, of course, Dak was in attendance. And uh, a lot of people have seen the interviews and all that stuff. Well, they didn't see this. And so, you know, he goes back and speaks to the team and he's, he's leaving, you know, there's you know three or four people around, kind of an entourage security type detail. And so I walk up and I'm like, hey, Dak. And he was walking away from me. So immediately two guys kind of stepped to me. I mean, when you look like me, you get a lot of attention from security, you know. Um, and Dak's immediately like, no, nah, man, he's good. He's good. He stops and immediately comes up and hugs my neck. He's like, man, how are you? I'm, can you believe this happened? You know, that's who Dak is. That, that's behind the scenes. You see the stuff on TV and you think, oh, it's all an act. It's not an act. I mean, he is that genuine a guy. He remembers everybody that was there for him before he had his NFL millions. And I think that's the most refreshing and endearing thing about him is he just, he's still the same guy he was. He grew up in Houghton, Louisiana, just has a bigger bank account. Yeah. I mean, when I was in Omaha, he was the same way with the baseball team. No different than you're talking about that situation. I mean, he was loving on them guys, hanging out with them guys, everything Mississippi state and the people loved it. Yeah. So, you know, before Jim gets into all things Mississippi State and gets into your books, I got to ask about the Boneyard podcast. What, uh, what's the podcast? What's it about? How do we catch it? Where do we catch it? When do we catch it? Yeah, so they asked me to do that show, I guess, a little over 10 years ago now, and I didn't want to do it. I initially turned them down uh, because the, the people that put that network that I was with originally, like they gave all their friends podcasts, like it had no access. So it was basically just a bunch of fans that had shows and all due respect to those guys, that just doesn't work well. You can't run a network like that. So, so I told them, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. I think that was a bad business decision. And, and eventually they stayed after me and they're like, Hey, you know, we'll give you a little money for the show. I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And uh, then at that point, once I got involved, I wanted to be number one. You know, it's like it wasn't enough just to do a show. I wanted to have the show. And so I'm on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's a 90-minute show most days. Uh, it's all about Mississippi State Athletics. And um, 
you know, people always say, well, you know, Steve, you got so many advertisers. I probably have turned down three times as many because uh, last year I had over 3 million downloads. I mean, that's, and that's a lot of people listen to Mississippi state athletics, you know? And so I just think it's incredible to think about, you know, we can sit at home, we can talk about sports and uh, there's so many people that aren't in Mississippi that love Mississippi state. And, and uh, I get so many messages from our, you know, our, our servicemen and women that are, you know, in a foreign land that get a little taste of home by listening to the show. And there's so many other people that have reached out and said, you know what, Steve, we get no Mississippi state coverage out here in the, the state we live in. This kind of makes me feel like I'm back in Starkville and you can't put a price on that. You know, it's like, you're doing something of value to other people. And these are the only people that I really care about. You know, it's like, it's not that I have negative feelings about other fan bases. I mean, one in particular, I probably do, but no, I do. I'm being disingenuous. <laughs> There's one fan base I really don't care for at all. But, you know, but this is my target audience. And, um, you know, so if we can bring them some inside coverage about Mississippi State, they're not getting elsewhere and make them feel a little bit closer to Mississippi State. I think that's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. So, yeah, Steve, we're going to get into it about being an author. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I was sleeping on you when I was introduced to you in Starville by Greg James. I had no idea. Um, you know, the books that you had, I mean, to be honest, I'm from Memphis. I wasn't big in the Mississippi state or Ole Miss. And then I went into the military and I was in Florida, California, Iraq. And then I came back. And when I moved here, I came to North Mississippi and that's when I kind of got into the scene. Um, and I didn't really know about, you know, your books and everything that had went down with, with all that. And so, um, you know, getting prepared for this episode I'm reading and I'm just, I'm absolutely fascinated. And Daniel will tell you, I am not a big reader, but I cannot wait to dive into your books because I, I'm I couldn't be more intrigued. And so with that, um, you know, you're, you're titled bestselling author. First of all, before I even get into the books, like, how does that feel when you're just labeled that? Well, you know, I, I really don't know how to respond to some of that sometimes, you know, it's like so when I, when I first got I was already writing a book about recovery and uh, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it's like you sit down on a computer and you just kind of regurgitate everything, you know, and you hope it's in an organized format. I didn't know clue what I was doing. And then I got a contract. I had a literary agent contact me and said, Hey, there's going to be multiple books written about this uh, whole Ole Miss Hugh Freeze thing, but you're the guy that needs to write it. And so I wanted to do it. Part of it was ego It's like, yeah, they're right. I don't want somebody else telling my story, you know? And so, so he taught me how to outline a book and, uh, you know, kind of what the writing process looked like because I had no clue. And so I wrote it. And then like two weeks before it came out, I, I wanted to vomit every day. I mean, it's <laughs> like I'm just going to put myself out here to be judged, potentially open myself up to litigation. You know, it's like there's a lot of stress involved in all that. But I think at the end of the day, it, it's really about not being afraid to fail. You know, there's so many times you get in your comfort zone and you want to be safe and like, hey, I don't want to put myself out there. But I hadn't felt that way in a long time. I was like, you know, this is something new for me. I mean, I can handle all this Internet stuff. I'm pretty much a social media ninja. But I was like, I wanted a new challenge and I put it out there and, and it debuted at number one on a Mississippi bestsellers list, knocking off John Grisham's Camino Island that had been number one for 33 state weeks. So there was my name and John Grisham, and I said, hey, we need to copy that out and frame it because that'll probably never happen again, but uh, but thankfully it has. But then you get the first one down, and I'll be honest with you, it's like, you know, they wanted me to write a sequel to Flim Flam, but my heart just wasn't in it. You know, I was just like, 
Let me do this. Let me contact some of the great Mississippi State heroes of the past and have them talk about the rivalry, like their favorite moments in the rivalry. There's never been a book like that. Every book written about the state of Miss rivalry has been written by some old Miss guy, you know, with a, you know, with a bow tie and a mint julep. I mean, you know, so, you know, I thought, well, let's, let's tell our side of the story. And so I wrote Stark Villains and, and it exploded too. And uh, I had so many people that were so thankful. You know, my agent comes back and says, hey, why don't you write a sequel to this one? And um, so the quarantine was going on. I'm like, sure, why not? So that was my quarantine project. I, I don't want to look back one day and my grandkids say, hey, grandpa, what did you do during the great quarantine of 2020? And say, well, I watched Netflix and got fat. You know, no, I, you know, I wrote a book. And um, so that was my quarantine project and it's doing really well. And um you know, and then I've I've been writing lyrics and poetry, you know, most of my life, and um, I hadn't done it in a while, and I wanted to kind of exercise those muscles again because this was supposed to be my year off, and so I'd written some poems, and um, a lot of them is just for yourself. You know, a lot of times it's to say, "This is what I'm feeling. Let me process this and kind of get it out of my system," and and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not, but all of it's very therapeutic, and so. I'd shared some with a friend of mine and she was like, you know, this, you're doing yourself and the world a disservice by just having this stuff on a folder on your computer. You need to publish this stuff. And so I thought, well, Hey, contrary to popular belief, I did not self publish those earlier books. And that is so funny to me. It's like these people that want to kind of erode any accomplishment that I have. I take it all as gain. Cause it's like, <laughs> you must really, I must really be impactful on your life and you must truly hate me to make up these things about me. But the book of poetry I self-published because, you know, I just, I wanted to stay relevant. It was supposed to be my year off. And I said, Hey, I'll put this out here. And uh, it's a little bit different. You kind of like when Allison changed the jar of flies, you know, it's like, Hey, we'll do an EP. It's a little different. And so I just wanted to show a different side of myself. And it's been on the bestseller list in the state of Mississippi for six straight months, which is amazing. They tell me it's the highest rated poetry book of the last decade. Uh, I got nominated for Mississippi poet of the year. I didn't win, but it was just nice to be nominated. I had a friend of mine that said, you know what, they're not going to name a poetry book of the year this year, but if they were, this is it. And so it's nice to get that respect from your peers. You know, I never wrote that book to make any money. You know, I mean, it's, um, I don't think that's what art's about. You know, I, it's about just sharing things. And I'll share a story with you real quick about Bloomsville Leander, which is the name of the poetry book. I had this lady, man, it's out of the blue, find me on Facebook from Colorado. And uh, she said, hey, I'm in this Zoom book of the month club. And this lady who's a Mississippi State fan said, hey, let's all read this poetry book. And she said, I read this one. And she said, it was like, you're telling my story. And she said, it's a, it's a poem called Songbird. And, and um, she said, man, I was in this abusive relationship and I was married to this guy and it was just awful. And uh, she goes, I finally left him and I thought my life will never be the same. I'll never find happiness. And she goes, I found this great guy and everything changed. I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm married to him. we got a wonderful life. And she says, but you wrote, you wrote my story. And I just wanted to reach out and tell you, and of course I've never heard her. And I think that's the beauty in, in art and in sharing your heart with other people is that people respond to authenticity. And uh, it's crazy too, that probably the most popular poem in the book is this uh, true story you know, by this girl I was once in love with. And it's called Almost the Queen. And uh, she lost the, uh, the homecoming runoff by one boat. And uh, so then like everything in her life after that kind of unraveled. And so I wrote it, it's called Almost a Queen. And 
And a while back, I was uh, kind of walking down the uh, streets of nostalgia, and I wrote another poem kind of about that. And out of the blue, the same lady from Colorado messages me. And she goes, hey, that's about the queen, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, but how did you know? I mean, how in the world did you pick that out? She said, I can just tell in the spirit with which you wrote it that you were still thinking about her. And I, it's, I have no romantic interest in her, but it was just, you know, one of those things that kind of crosses your mind one day and you want to process it and move on from it. And I just thought to myself, this lady has no clue who I am or where I'm from or who this poem is about, but she was able to put the two together. And I think that's one of those beautiful things when we share who we really are. People respect that. They respond to that. And then all of a sudden we have a connection between, you know, reader and author that I think is just beautiful. Yes. I had a, I had a question in regards to the poetry and I always wondered this is, is poetry something that you sit down and you write a poem start to finish? Is it something you start and then come back to? Are there works where you start it and you're like, I, I can't finish it or is anything ever truly finished? Well, I think, no, to answer that question, no, I, I think that's, I think, so to, to answer your first question, uh, most of my inspiration comes from being on the road and driving down the highway when I'm by myself and listening to music, you know, like there's a place that certain songs take us, you know, it's a great time machine. And uh, there's some songs, you know, like uh, I listen to Shine Downs, you know, uh, shed some light. I used to always tell people I want that played at my funeral because it's just a, it it speaks to my heart. And sometimes I'll put songs on repeat because I think there, and this will sound kind of crazy and I'm okay with that. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm okay with the label, you know. Um, I think there is so much magic out there in the ethos. And there are certain songs and certain moments in your life that will allow you to kind of open up and accept those things if you're willing to share them. And so that's what happens. I'll be riding down there and like just the mood that a song will take me to, I'll be remembering. I remember when I felt that way. I remember when I experienced that. And then I begin in my head, my head, it's almost like torture. It's like all these other thoughts will come and rhyming patterns and things like that. It's gotten to the point sometimes I have to pull over on the side of the road and just put it in notes in my phone just so I can finish the drive because you know, there's just some parts of it. It's, it is, it, when it begins to flood in like that, you got to capture it or you'll lose it forever. And so a lot of it just kind of came in my travels. I mean, out on the road cover Mississippi State baseball and in my head, I'm writing poetry and it's like, you think, oh, I got to stop and write this thing down because I got to share this. And I, I believe, and again, this is kind of, kind of new Zen Buddhist type thinking, but I believe if you don't keep it, you don't share it, that you lose the ability to grab it. You know, I think I think you have to kind of honor the fact that it is a gift to you to share with other people, whether it comes from God or a higher power, uh, you know, Mother Nature, whatever you choose to call it. I think there is an inspiration behind all that. And the more you share, I think the more you get. And so I take that responsibility very seriously. And, uh, you know, Blooms of Oleander kind of allowed me to share some of that. And I wrote about that in the introduction that all of the, all the great songs and all the great poems and all the great paintings, they're all out there, you know, just waiting for us to kind of grab them and uh, bring them and share them with each other. And I, and I think that's some of the beauty in life. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Daniel, this is the second time in, uh, I don't know, was it three or four weeks uh, when we had Keegan James and Dallas Wolfolk on and 
the discussion of journaling and writing their journey and being able to, um, you know, put their thoughts on paper and then also go back to those when they come to certain situations. And so as you say that, you know, it's, it's a lesson that everyone can really learn to be able to, you know, express your thoughts. And like you said, that's a, a form of art that um, is, is taken for granted, but I'm just, you know, the amount of ground that you've covered when you talk about these books and your journey and, you know, whether it, whether it's sports or whether it's music addiction, you know, the poetry, like it's, I mean, it's astounding how much you've been able to do. And, you know, you go back to Flim Flam, which, you know, uh, man, you know, you talked about there's, you know, obviously that town is Oxford and, and there, and there's a place where, you know, you're not liked very well, but you also started by telling Daniel that when you were talking about Dak Prescott and them's character, you know, there are good guys and there are guys who do things the wrong way. And I think you did nothing wrong by exposing something that was being done the wrong way. And so of course that fan base in, in that town is going to feel the certain way, but you did what was morally right. And I think writing a book on it is just capitalizing on something that, you know, you did that was a good thing. Well, the way that I look at it too, is like, um, you know, I think my lawyer said it best when, uh, you know, we were in the middle of, uh, I, I took Ole Miss before the State Ethics Commission and won because they were trying to keep some documents from me that had the names of the uh, the boosters that were that were alleged of committing NCAA violations. They didn't want me to have it. Well, I got legal right to it. And so I pushed the issue. And I think that's part of the problem is they didn't know how to handle me. They just kind of mislabeled me. They thought, well, this is this long-haired tattooed freak. You know, he's probably pretty stupid. Um, you know, but don't let the long hair fool you. You know, I mean, I'm not a guy that sits around and smokes pot every day. I mean, those days are behind me, you know, um, and I wouldn't quit. You know, that was the thing is like, I, I knew that I was right and I wouldn't quit. And so I took him before the Fortified Ethics Commission. And um, one of the Ole Miss lawyers was there when it got appealed to the Hines County Chantry Court. And uh, one of the guys is like, oh, you know, Steve's so over the top and Steve did this and Steve did that. And my lawyer just said, you know, Steve told the truth. And if your people would have done that, he would have never become this cult hero that he's become. You know, Steve did what everybody else wouldn't do, which is tell the truth. And there were so many people that fought so hard to conceal it. And one day, you know, I hope that, um, you know, the rest of the story can fully be known. Um, there are a lot of people that took a lot of steps to keep this story from ever being told. And, and the shame in all of this is theirs. It's not mine. You know, if if everybody behaves and does what they claim and, and they become the people that they claim to be, there's no story to tell. But, you know, like people say, it, it's not always the crime that's the story. It's the cover up that follows. And you had people in the in-state media that absolutely refused to cover the story. And so I had a discussion with a newspaper man in the state of Mississippi who remained nameless. And um, he was really upset because I'd kind of taken the task on social media. And I said, well, here's the deal. I said, you guys are either completely incompetent or you are complicit in the cover-up. And I said, I'll let you decide which label you want to ride with. But it can't be anything other than that. Either you guys are all absolutely terrible at your jobs or you don't want to tell the truth. And, and either way, it's bad for the, the citizens of Mississippi that people that are in charge of reporting the truth avoided the truth at every turn. Yeah, Absolutely. And so, you know, you did that with that book and, and you know, like you said, you're able to legally get the documents and be able to, to, to write that and successfully tell the story. Like you said, there may be some things left out, but nonetheless, everybody got 
the the good idea of what was taking place and so you wrote your second book which i gotta know between stark villains and alpha dogs do you title these books yes those are phenomenal i'm just gonna tell you both both of those speak to me and so you talk about the in-state rivalry and since i've lived here um i've been going to the the baseball games i've been going to the football games and like you know i'm not in other parts of the country to be a part of those rivalries to compare but like i just feel like this one's as, as nasty as it gets i mean would you not say the same? I'm sure if I read your book, I'm going to find that out. But I mean, is is, is this as, as tough as rivalry as it gets? Well, the, you know, the more that I talk to other people, the more I'm convinced that it is. You know, it's like, we don't know any other thing. I, mean, I grew up in all this, you know, so you know, it's like people are like, man, it's crazy down there. It's like, is it? You know, this is all we know, you know, but, uh, you know, ESPN recently wrote, you know, their article on, uh, I guess it was Chris Lowe and uh, Mark Slaybaugh about, the nation's most bitter rivalries and <clears throat> state no miss number one, you know, and, uh, you know, some would say Alabama Auburn. And I think state no miss is a little more bitter because, you know, we're both traditionally not very good. You know, it's like, as I said, one time they got, they quoted me on Paul Feinbaum. They won't have me on their show, but they'll quote me. Um, I guess I don't fit their programming. Um, <laughs> But they said, uh, you know, I, I made a comment that state and Ole Miss are kind of like two rump puppies fighting over the hind tit. You know, it's like that's the intensity. And so, like, you finally get latched on. You'll push the other one off. They can starve to death. You don't even care. You know, in the neighborhood in which we live, I mean, the chances of us being able to routinely compete with Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia, they're pretty slim, you know. And so you're fighting for a, a will to power within the toughest league in all of college football. And so, yeah, it gets a little brutal sometimes. And so. Uh, but, you know, the reality of it is, too, I laugh at these people that say, oh, it's gotten so bad. I think, where is your sense of history? I mean, when you say that, you're speaking from a place of ignorance. It's gotten so bad. It's always been bad. And that's one of the things I detailed in Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs. I mean, you go back, the very first game between Mississippi State and Ole Miss was delayed 40 minutes because a former Ole Miss player played at Mississippi State and the coaches at Ole Miss, the coach player, thought it would be an unfair advantage that State had a former Ole Miss player. So they refused to play the game. There's a bunch of crybabies. So State sat the kid, and then they won the game anyway, like 22-0. But in 1905, State and Ole Miss play in Jackson for the very first time. State wins the ball game, and these smarmy, smart-aleck A&M cadets performed a full military parade funeral down Capitol Street in Jackson to – demonstrate the death of the Ole Miss athletic spirit. That's 1905. <laughs> and then you get to 1946. And this is detailed in the book where, you know, State and Ole Miss were playing and guy went over there and painted the campus maroon and white. You go back to 1926 when State had won like 13 in a row and Ole Miss finally wins and they tear down State's goalposts and a riot breaks out. I mean, these are our grandfathers, man. These are our great grandfathers out there laying haymakers on each other. Don't sit here and bore me about, oh, it's good and so bad. You're an idiot if you don't know that. State and Ole Miss people have hated each other even before there was a Mississippi State and Ole Miss. There's this bourgeoisie class in the state of Mississippi. Then there's a the blue-collar class. Then you've got the middle class, and they kind of pick and choose which side they want to be on. But, you know, there has always been this spirit of contention in the state of Mississippi between people that considered themselves the, quote, landed gentry and the common man. So it hadn't all, it hadn't just gotten bad. It's always been bad. The difference is football just gave them an opportunity to get out there and compete and beat each other up a little bit. 
Yeah, and so I want to go transition straight from there because we had Will Rogers on here, and this is a kid who wanted to go to Ole Miss, and they never gave him an opportunity. And he went to Mississippi State, which, uh, you know, we're sitting here talking about poetry. It's poetry the way it came together because, as he said on here, he felt like the last dog to the bowl, and he said he feels like Mississippi State's treated the same. And he, and he felt like this was where he was supposed to be. So, you know, the, the idea that he thought Ole Miss is where he wanted to go, but Mississippi State was that perfect place. And it built that his identity within Mississippi State's identity were one. And so, um, you know, I just want to ask you after this year with what you've seen from him, um, whether on the field, off the field, the, you know, just the chip that he carries on his shoulder, your thoughts on Will Rogers. Oh, Will's a renegade, man. I mean, that's, you know, it's like Will just happened to be – was be a bulldog born into an Ole Miss family. You know I mean? That's as simple as I can say it. I mean, he has the, you know, the grit and the character that kind of fits the blue collar value system of Mississippi state. You know, he's not that cultural elitism type kid. I mean, that's just not who he is. And that may have been the team he cheered for in his youth, but as he got older, I think he realized this is where he belonged. And I think the fact you mentioned being the last dog of the bowl, I mean, yeah, he feels like he has something to prove. And he proves it every Saturday. I mean, just they don't win that game at Auburn. I mean, you're down 28 to 10 at the break. And then Will Rogers gets a touchdown and he's barking up and down the sidelines, telling the defense, just give me the ball back. Just give me the ball back. And what does he do? He goes down there and, and, and orchestrates the biggest comeback in school history, which broke the record he set in week one when he came back and beat Louisiana Tech, a game that should have never been the game that it was, but I think it just demonstrates the leader that this guy is. And what we're seeing is the maturation of Will Rogers before our eyes. This is a guy, his best football remains ahead of him. I was looking today at the Liberty Bowl individual records. If Will Rogers just has a typical Will Rogers game, he's going to break every record in the book. Uh-huh. I mean, he will break every, because of this offensive scheme and the way that this team is playing right now. That, I mean, like a good example. The Liberty Bowl record for passes caught in a game by one player is 10. Well, Makai Polk has done double digit, you know, four or five times this year. You know, 420 something yards, I think is the record. Will's got four games over 400. And so this is a team, Texas Tech, not exactly a great defensive team. So the opportunity for not only Will Rogers to win a ball game and to finish with an eight and five record in his first full year as a starter. I think this could be a launching pad to a bona fide Heisman campaign next year. And I think he could go up there and rewrite the Liberty Bowl record books uh, and kind of really show people, you know what, hey, we're just getting started. And I think that's really the case with him. I, I think that his best football is ahead of him because they're going to return all their offensive skill next year. Got a couple offensive line spots they got to fill. But Will Rogers is just really beginning to realize his potential. Yeah, as much as, you know, the Liberty Bowl isn't exactly where y'all wanted to be, for me being, you know, just down the road from there, I was very excited to see that they were going to be playing there so I could go be able to watch Mississippi State and watch Will. Unfortunately, you know, I was there to watch them against Memphis, um, and that wasn't the best game. And that was something I just wanted to ask you about is the Memphis and LSU game. I'm an LSU fan, and I know that we're not very good. That's a team that y'all should have beat, and Memphis is a team that you should have beat. When you look back as – is, you know, those two games, if you could have, especially maybe if they were later in the season after everything started clicking, I mean, those are two games you definitely shouldn't have lost, right? And that and that basically puts you in the spot you're kind of in right now. Well, especially the Memphis game. You know, I, mean, I mean, State had a chance to go up three scores and couldn't put the ball in the end zone, and that's on, that's on Mississippi State. You know, we, 
we talk about the punt return and that shouldn't have happened. I mean, that's, that, that was a bad call. And the bag judge, Matt Holyfield, ended up getting suspended over that call, the inadvertent hand signal. You know, the LSU game, I, I'm not as down on that as some other people are. And the reason I say that is, you know, we played LSU pretty much at full strength. I mean, Derek Stingley was the only player that was really out, I think, save a backup defensive end. You know, after our game, you know, Kayshawn Butte opts out. There are other guys that uh, have season-ending surgery. So, you know, we got LSU pretty close to being who LSU thought they were going to be. It was after our game is when, you know, things kind of fell apart. So, yeah, if we play LSU in week nine or ten after they've had all these injuries, you probably win that game going away. But at the time, it wasn't as bad a loss as it looks in hindsight because you say they're a six and six team. We didn't play a six and six caliber LSU team. You know, we played an LSU team that was probably on their way to win eight or nine, possibly ten ball games. But the reality of it is, is they fell apart after our game because I think they had four season-ending injuries in that right. game. Yeah. You know, it's like so if we play them without those, if they don't have Kishan Butte, hey, we win the game. I don't know if LSU even scores. You know, it's just it's ridiculous to think about that. But I don't feel so bad about that one. I think the Arkansas game sticks in the crawl a little bit more. Because you miss a couple of field goals in a ball game, you lose by three. And not to mention, Will orchestrates what should have been a game-winning drive in the final minutes. You give the ball back to them just over two minutes to go and give up basically an 85-yard drive. And then Will, being the competitor that he is, needs 40 seconds to get you back in the field goal position to kick a game-time field goal, and you miss it. And so the Arkansas game bothers me worse than the LSU game does because I think State's a better team in Arkansas. Uh, but the reality of it is Arkansas had the better season, and I think Sam Pittman's a phenomenal coach. I don't know that he ever gets them to Atlanta, but he's certainly got them on the right track. But those are the two that really bothered me the most, Memphis and Arkansas. Well, this was something I wasn't going to ask you, but, you know, since we're talking about multiple SEC teams and I am an LSU guy, I need to know you from a Mississippi State guy. Um, what do you think about the Brian Kelly hire in LSU I think it depends on who he hires as coordinators. You know, I mean, the guy's proven to be a winner wherever he's been. He won big at Cincinnati. He's won big at Notre Dame. Now, they've had trouble against Alabama. And if you're an LSU fan, that's the last thing you want to hear is I don't want to hire. A, that's like hiring Dan Mullen. The guy's beating everybody else but can't beat Alabama, you know. And so you go hire a guy that has really struggled against Alabama, and that's LSU's chief rival. I think we all know that. I mean, that's the team that nobody that LSU wants to beat worse than anybody. I think it is a good hire. I think the salary is absolutely ridiculous. And I think, you know, we talk about, you know, used to give these guys a couple of years to figure it out. With the money we're paying nowadays, you, you can't afford to do that. Nobody's going to pay a guy $10, $15 million, you know, to go six and six. I mean, you know, you look at what happened to Dan Mullen this year. I mean, he's three, he's three New Year's six bowl games in a row. The guy played for the SEC championship last year. He has one bad year and he's gone. That's what we're trending towards with these huge salaries. One bad year and you're gone. Yeah, and for LSU, I mean, almost the best job you can get is being fired. I mean, Les Miles and Coach O got paid a lot of money to head to the beach, you know. So, I mean, Brian Kelly's in a decent situation. I mean, you either win and turn it around and do big things or you lose and you get paid a lot of money to walk. So, not, not, a, bad, not a bad gig for him at all. But turning to baseball, you know, and that's where I first met you on uh, multiple occasions. Um, you know, family family friends of, uh, of the, the James family and – and I was along for the whole ride for, for Mississippi State this year. You know, like I said, I'm an LSU fan. These guys asked me, uh, our other host, Randy, is not here. Daniel and Randy put me on the spot before the season started. They said, 
Cameron James, Kate Smith, you watch them their whole high school career. You know, you're, you're friends with their family. You got to pick one, LSU or Mississippi State. Well, I chose Mississippi State right here on the podcast. What a decision to make. I was there for the whole ride. And so as were you and, you know, just how amazing was it start to finish, even with the, you know, obviously there was the Missouri series that, that you really hurt. And then obviously the SEC tournament. But other than those setbacks, man, just how amazing was the run for you? Well, it's one of the greatest experiences of my life. You know, uh, I told everybody in 2019, yes, Jake Mangum's last year. And so I decided that year that I was going to stay on the road as long as Jake was chasing the record, the SEC hits record. And so, well, then he hit it. And I was like, I'm having so much fun out here covering road baseball. I think I'm just going to stay out here. You know, and next thing I know, I'm in Omaha. And I remember that very first ball game. I think it was between, uh, you know, Michigan and, uh, I don't remember who they played the first game. It's off the top of my head, but I'm walking down first baseline and kickstart my heart comes on as the teams are coming on the field. And it, all of a sudden I had one of those moments because, you know, we stay so busy, we get so involved in stuff. And I thought, you know what? I'm exactly where I want to be. There's nobody, no, no place in the world I'd rather be than right here, right now in Omaha, Nebraska, watching the College World Series. And I thought, man, how great is it going to be to see Mississippi State take this field? And they did. And of course, it didn't go the way we wanted. But I thought, you know, I've had so much fun covering road baseball, and nobody really does that anymore. So I said, well, this year I'm going to do the same thing. So 2020, we lose the season. Um, so there was a lot of pent-up demand. State had been to Omaha back-to-back years. And I really felt like even though we lost Justin Foscu and, um, and, uh, and Westberg, I, I just felt like, you know, we're going to be okay. You know, we're gonna, we'll find some guys who can play middle infield. We knew we had pitching. And I told everybody, I said, we're going back to Omaha. And if we win, it will depend on the matchups, who we get on our side of the bracket. And that's exactly how it played out. We got the better side of the bracket. You know, of course, we had, uh, you know, Vandy and uh, those guys on the other side. You know, we felt like we were in a pretty good spot. And, of course, we ended up playing Vandy in the final. And as soon as that craziness happened with NC State and Vandy got the pass, I, I called some friends of mine. I said, of course, it had to be Vandy. I'm like, what do you mean? I said, well, this, this is Mississippi State's moment. So you're about to beat the team that's kind of had your number. And you're going to beat them to win the NAFL championship. So there's not going to be anything fluky about it. You know, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, you, you played, uh, you know, College of Charleston or Wesley College. You're playing Vanderbilt. You're the defending NAFL champions. That's the only thing that made sense. And, uh, and so, you know, of course, you lose the first game. And I, I went across the street and uh, to the Blatt. And uh, I was just going over there to get something to eat because the concession stand had closed. We didn't have a media meal. And I, I went over there, and, of course, the kitchen was closed. And there's all these students, all these Mississippi State. Steve, come up here with us. So I go up there, and then all of a sudden, one of the kids were like, so, Steve, dogs in three, right? I said, man, dogs in three. Well, then the whole bar is chanting, dogs in three, dogs in three. And I'm like, the energy these guys had, even in defeat, it's like I think every Mississippi State fan just felt like, you know what, this doesn't even matter. This doesn't even matter. We're still going to win it. It's our time. We've been up here before, and we were just another team in Omaha, but this is our time. And so when we win that second game, I don't think there was any doubt. With Will no. Bednar on the mound against Kumar, I mean, I, you could have put Kumar and his daddy both out there, and I think Mississippi State <laughs> would beat them, you know. Um I just think, again, it's one of those magic moments where you can kind of see the train coming down the track and you just kind of appreciate the fact that you're there to see it. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, I think the reason people weren't bothered by game one, and you did a piece on Houston Harding as well as we did, and uh, or we had him on here, and we were so confident with the way Houston had been pitching for game two, and then like you said with Bednar game three, you just felt good about both those matchups, and so w- when you know that you've got the upper hand in pitching, and you know, they're going to have to go to the bullpen, they're going to have to go to Kumar on short rest, and he's looked injured, I, I think everybody could tell through his last performance, because you know, I was there for the whole thing, and I watched I watched him pitch in his previous game and you could tell there was something wrong. And so, um, you know, I don't, I don't think there was a doubt in my mind just because of the pitching matchups. I'll tell you what did throw me was that game one, you know, obviously with Cam being my guy, when Cam hit that blast in the first inning and even Logan Tanner came on here, he goes, we're fixing to take this thing right now. Game one, (laughs) they felt that way. And then obviously it went the other way, but you know, Mississippi state, it showed, and and I got to tie this back to that other school. And we have a lot of those guys on there and we have a lot of listeners, but I'll tell you, Steve, I had a conversation with three Mississippi State players' dads, and we had a conversation, and they told me, in their opinion, for five years straight, including last year, Ole Miss has more talent on their roster. He said, but they ain't got the heart and the energy and the fight that these Bulldogs do. And I firmly believe that myself because I've watched both the teams. I've seen seen the players, and there's something to be said about the way that those guys put it all together and went and made that run. You know, I, yeah, I wrote about this in the new book, um, in Dogpile, that the, the, the one play that happened this baseball season that shows the biggest difference between State and Ole Miss is in game three of the series against Ole Miss. Tanner Allen comes up with the bases loaded. They bring in Broadway, who is their best closer, right? So you got, you got a best-on-best best situation there. And Tanner Allen rips a triple in the right field. So all three runs score. Tanner rounds second. There was no stopping him. I mean, you know, I, don't, I mean, I don't care what you would have done. He's going to third. So he goes sliding in head first to third. And Justin Bench is on, you know, on the bag. The throw comes in. It's in the dirt. And so not only did Bench not make the tag, he didn't even make the catch. He just like goes, gets clearing out of the way. You know, so like he wanted no part of Tanner Allen. That's the difference between Mississippi State and Ole Miss. That play right there illustrates it. State getting downhill, doing what has to be done to win. And then your guy, who is not Johnny Bench's grandson, despite the reports to the, to the, <laughs> the contrary, um, he's bailing out. You know, the, when, the moment, when, the, when it came time to make the big play, Mississippi State made the big play. And I think it's one of those things, too, where I think Mississippi State expects that to happen. You know, they just – they expect to win no matter who the opponent is. And I don't know that there are a lot of teams around here that have – Arkansas, I think, has that quality a little bit. I think Vanderbilt has that quality a little bit. I think Florida used to have it. I think they've lost it. Uh, LSU, they have that quality. I mean, we always joke about, you know, I don't know what, uh, you know, what voodoo they have. I mean, but it's always like, you know, the last three outs against LSU – are almost as, as important as the first 24. You know, it's like you, you you go all the way through it, and it's like you just keep waiting for something. You wait for a possum to run out of the stands. You know, you, <laughs> you, know, you wait for some streaker to run across the field. Like, there's always something crazy that happens that changes the momentum for the Tigers, and I think that's in opponents' heads. And I think when teams come to Dirty Noble Field, and all of a sudden, you got, you know, 15,000 people chanting Maroon and White at your sophomore pitcher out there that would rather be anywhere in the world other than the mound. You're fixing to lose a ball game. And I think State didn't always have that. I think that has developed really over the last few years. You know, I think State's always had the will. They just needed the way 
I think now with this new ballpark and these new facilities, they're recruiting at such a high level and fan support is unprecedented right now that uh, I think Mississippi State didn't just win a championship. They won their first championship. Right. And I, and I mean, I absolutely believe when, because just like you, I know, I know the roster, I know who's returning. I saw who transferred in, saw who they recruited. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that they absolutely should be back there. So I want to just ask you about a few key players and then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be done with all this sports talk and we'll, we'll let you play a game with Daniel. But I want to ask one, um, you know, I want to start with this. Landon Sims is a starter. First of all, how do you feel about it? Because I mean, I love the guys an electrifying closer. Um, how do you feel about it? And two, how well do you think he'll do? I think he'll do great. I mean, he's always been a starter up until he got to Mississippi State. And he just found a role as a closer. It scares me a little bit because what are you going to do in the back end? You know, it's like he gets you a couple wins a week. You know, now you're going to have him pitching once. Now, is he going to go six innings? Is he going to go seven innings? Who's going to get the last, you know, nine outs for you? And so – yeah, that's a concern. I, I think it's probably best for his future. I think Landon, I think Jackson Fristo, probably your one-two, and then we'll see you on know, the rest. I'm hoping Kate Smith will be healthy and he can challenge for that third spot. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a concern. It's a realistic concern. But um, one thing's for sure, I can promise you, with Landon Sims on the mound on Friday night, he's going to give Mississippi State their best chance to win. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about that. I do, I do like him coming in and closing, but I do like the Friday night starter. I was going to, you know, ask, you know, if you thought Fristo was going to be that number two, I've been reading it. So you, you went to that. And then you brought up Kate Smith. Like I said, I've watched him his whole high school career. I think a lot of people, he flew under the radar last year because he was hurt, you know, first half of the season, but you know, he did actually pitch um, a lot of innings in Omaha, as you know, and, you know, put in some quality innings and, and didn't give up any runs. So, um, if he can stay healthy, I, I know what he's dealing. And so I definitely think he has an opportunity at that spot. And so um, with that, I got to ask you one more and, and, and I got to do it. It's a, it's a Ole Miss Mississippi state thing. I've had this debate a million times over. Is it Hayden Dunhurst or is it Logan Tanner is the best catcher in the SEC because Hayden Dunhurst got the award, but you know, I, I read, I read the scouting report as far as what the pros think and Logan Tanner is ahead of Hayden Dunhurst on most of them. Yeah, see, here's the thing that I would say. Defensively, I think Dunhurst is better. I think he is a better receiver. He's a wall back there. He is. I think Logan Tanner has a little more of the clutch gene, though. And I think Logan Tanner is a guy that has a good enough arm when maybe he doesn't receive it, he can kind of overcome that a little bit, you know. Um, I'm going to go with my guy. I'm going to go with Logan Tanner. I mean, you know, the reality of it is, is uh, you know, Ole Miss didn't make it to Omaha. Mississippi State did. Mississippi State won a College World Series. And so I'm going to go with the guy with the ring over the guy that sat on the couch and watched it from home. I, I got a bold prediction for you, though. You may not like this. Well, you may like this because they, if they get a chance to match up. But I honestly, I think both of them are going to make it to Omaha this year. I know Ole Miss never makes it there. They always come <laughs> up short. But I actually believe I, – I believe that there's a good chance that – because what LSU has, I think LSU, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State could end up in Omaha. I think they, I think you're right. Um, I think Ole Miss is more likely to get beaten in the Super Regionals because I don't know they're going to have any starting pitching. And that's not to really throw shade at Ole Miss. I think offensively, they're going to be one of the better teams in the country. I don't think there's any question about that. But what do you do in a 2-1 ball game? But on the other side of it is, you know, what do you do when you got to face, you know, five, six hitters that can take you deep when you throw a mistake pitch? And so I think all three of those teams are going to be outstanding. I think Arkansas is still going to be really, really good. I think it'll take a little bit of a step back, but I think they're, you don't want to go up there and play 
I think Vanderbilt's going to take a solid step back. I think they're more in the pack this year. Uh, Tennessee, of course, I think is going to take a step back. But, you know, the West is going to be absolutely loaded. And, and I think those four teams, I think one of those four teams will win the SEC outright this year. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just given really the the nature of the SEC, it's teams beating up on each other uh, week, week in, week out. And, you know, you, you've got teams like Florida, you got teams like South Carolina, you know, those teams, you know, down as of late, but still they don't make the road any easier for anybody on a weekend, week out basis. So, you know, the SEC itself is a, is a juggernaut. It's, it's a gauntlet of, of games. And if you can win it outright, that's saying something. Um, but if you can win that tournament and put yourself in a position, you, you got a real solid shot. So it'll be interesting to see where everybody falls and, you know, how the, how the chips land. But, Steve, man, I feel like we could talk all night, but, you know, obviously we, we want to let you get out of here. So before we do, we'll play a quick game with you that we play with all of our guests. It's called This or That. You down to play? Let's do it. All right, so it's very simple. I give you two options. You choose one option or the other. You just can't say both, and you can't say neither. There's only two rules. So I'll, I'll start off with a softball question. Is it music for you, or is it sports? Um, it's music. So is it because it speaks to you and because, like, it kind of draws back on your past, it, like, brings you back to certain experiences and certain memories or is it just you just have a passion just just greater than sports with music music is play sports is work <laughs> nice Very, hey solid answer solid answer i like <laughs> that so next question depending on where you go you could easily be considered a hero or a villain which would you prefer hero or villain uh, the hero for sure some yeah, people so like I, the villain. It's, it's not always yeah. people like the hero. Well, I, I embrace the villain aspect of it, too, because, like, I think the villains are the more colorful characters and stories, you know. So, um, so, yeah, I'm famous in some circles, infamous in others. I embrace both of those. But if I had to choose, I mean, you'd rather be loved than loathed. So. Good point. Good point. Is it Ozzy or is it Motley Crue? It's Motley. Um, it's Motley because I, maybe it's just because of the fact that I think that they, um, I think deeper into the catalog, there's a little more depth, even though some of their stuff's a little bit cheesy. I, I just, I like the whole band aspect of it. You know, I like the fact that Motley is kind of like a, a gang in some respects. Yeah, there's a, there's like a, I don't know, is there not a cult, but like you, you feel like you're a part of something more when you're when you're listening to Motley Crue. You feel like you're one of them. Well, not to mention too, like if Motley has a member leave, everybody loses their mind. I mean, Ozzy just keeps plugging in different people, and you know, <laughs> nobody really cares. You know, could be something else. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes or no? No. <laughs> I agree. What about a hamburger? Is a hamburger or a cheeseburger a sandwich? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know what 
like between the two, I don't know what makes one a sandwich over the other. I don't know the characteristics that make up a sandwich, but I just, I agree. I feel like a hot dog is just, just not a sandwich. It's just not. I think the fact that it's a single, it's the bun is a singular piece. You know, the, the, when sure. you have, you have a top and bottom bun, I think that's what differentiates it from being a sandwich. If you have a top and bottom bun, it's a sandwich. Good point. Good point. All right. Would you rather go to Duty Noble for the Old Miss series or Davis Wade for the Egg Bowl? Pick, Got to pick one. That's the only one you can do for the rest of your life. Duty Noble. Hands down. Nice. What, what, what is it about that over the Egg Bowl? I mean, well, you know, obviously- one, I always expect us to win. You know, like going to the Egg Bowl sometimes, too. It's like David Murray says it best. Your true rival – is the team that the fear of losing exceeds the joy of winning, you know, but like when it comes to baseball, I expect Mississippi state to win, you know, like with the egg ball, sometimes you expect it, but you truly never know. And baseball is really more about matchups. I mean, you know, you know, you don't get a crazy bounce or anything very often. Usually it's just kind of about skill and who's on. And I just think Mississippi state has, has shown throughout the years to be the superior baseball program. And, there were a few years in the early 2000s toward the end of the Ron Polk era that, you know, Ole Miss kind of had a little window and we hired John Cohen and slammed that window shot. So I, I expect State to beat Ole Miss pretty much every time out in baseball. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm okay with that. I don't know how Jim feels, but I, I could get down with that for sure. Why would, I, why would I have an issue with that? Just because I got some <laughs> Ole Miss baseball friends don't mean I root for them to beat Mississippi State. I mean, I, I don't want to say anything, but you do have season tickets to one over the other. Just, why, just why, why did I buy season tickets? Mississippi State and Tennessee come to Oxford this year, and Greg James already has me on the Mississippi State games that I want to go to. That's why it's not what you know, but who you know. I'm just saying, there's a Mississippi State cowbell. You got Ole Miss season tickets. There's Joe Burrow and LSU on one side of your room. Don't forget the Devin, I, Font the Devin Fontenot ball is in the special frame up there, you know. Steve, I'll, I'll leave it at this, man. His son is so confused on who to root for, it's, it's ridiculous. So if the poor kid has, has gone through five or six different teams, and now, thankfully, he, he, I think he's landed on Mississippi State. He's a Cameron he James guy. Yeah, he will appreciate the fact that I take him to all these baseball games and he gets to meet all these players. But, yes, he only has a jersey of one player, and that is Cameron James. Well, you got to go with the winners. That's right, baby. All right, so the next two questions are staple questions we ask everybody. Um, would you rather spend five years living in Oxford or 10 years in a coma? Oh, I would take the five years in Oxford easily. Um, number one, think about all the great music that I would miss in the coma and have to play catch up. Um, but also, too, I mean, I think once they got over the, the shock of me being there, I think that the streets would just clear in front of me. Like if I wanted to go go to dinner, I think people just kind of get it out of the way. I think the restaurants would clear out and have more elbow room. You know, you know the, I might get my car keyed every now and again, but, you know, that's okay. I'd rather do that than, than skip. Because you, know, you never know what's going to happen in rock music. What would I miss? I mean, like, what if the next Guns N' Roses drop and I'm in a freaking coma out there, you know? I would it, buy the it, biggest, most obnoxious house in Oxford that I could afford. And uh, I would set up like a, I would put that big, huge Mississippi State flag out there. I'd ring cowbells at dawn. I mean, you know. All right. So, Daniel, you're going to have to you're going to have to ask it the regular way. I thought Oxford might be hard. That's why I had you yeah. that, that wrinkle. So, there. 
so the the original question is would you rather spend five years in jail or 10 years in a coma and given the the story with you i figured i would spin it and ask if you'd rather spend five years in oxford or 10 years in a coma um but you you kind of you threw a curveball at us i was fully expecting you to say coma <laughs> but you know you, you went with you went with oxford and i, I can definitely prison too well here's the thing i I'm not scared of them. They're scared of me. So it's like, you know, it's a, it's a little different deal. Absolutely. All right. Last question before we let you get out of here, Steve, would you rather have money or would you rather have friends? Well, that's a great question. Um, I would say I'm going to pick friends because the thing that I've learned about that, whether I had drugs or money, uh, the friends that I had that were associated with that were kind of the single serving variety, you know, I got some friends in Stargill that'll help me move. I got some friends back home in Columbia that'll help me move a body, you know, and they were with me before I had anything. And so, yeah, I would pick, I would pick the friends over money. And um, they always say, I think David Lee Ross said it best, that money can't buy happiness, but it can pay off unhappiness for a little while. But, um, you know, now that I've had a little bit of both, I'm, I, I would rather have things. Uh, I'd rather do things than have things. If that makes sense. And I think the, the better things you do involve friends. So. Absolutely. Experiences can make a lifetime. And I mean, I don't think there's enough money in the world that can, you know, replace some of the experiences that I've had personally. So Daniel, I, I can, would, would you help me move a body, bro? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess I would. <laughs> Now, um, hopefully, being my friend, you would never ask me to do that. So um, oh, we'll leave it at that. But, Steve, man, anything you want to plug or promote while we got you on? Anything we can help you put out there? Nah, you know, I've, we've been on a long time, so I got to go soon. But, uh, you know, all my books are available at dogpiledebook.com, or you can find them just about everywhere your local bookstore can get it. And, of course, the website is jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State Affiliate. 247 Sports, and you can find the Boneyard everywhere you find great podcasts. Absolutely. Follow them on Instagram at Scout Steve R. Follow the Boneyard Podcast Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Check out the books Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, Flim Flam, Dogpile, and Blooms of Oleander. Steve, man, it's been a blast. If there's anything we can do for you, please reach out and let us know, man. You guys take care. Absolutely. That's Steve Robertson, everybody. We're going to take a break, plug our sponsors. When we come back, we got some headlines for you. Tattoos have become more of a normal part of society. And, you know, one of the things that's a common mistake that people do is they just go anywhere, you know, closest place, maybe whatever's convenient. And a lot of times they get a piece of art that stays on them forever that maybe they don't like so much. So let me help you and eliminate that problem. Go see Jeff Lee Watts. Easy Flea Tattoos. You can find him on Facebook or Instagram, and you can find him at 1731 Dancy Boulevard in Horn Lake. Number is 662-280-0763. Are you new to the gym? Or maybe someone who went to the gym but hasn't been in quite a while? Looking for that specialized training, that motivation, someone who's knowledgeable and can help you, whatever your need may be, whatever your age is, whatever it is you're looking for? Well, Austin Griffin is your guy in Club 4 in Hernando. He can help you in any way, shape, or form. His number is 662-548-4241. Tell him in off the bench sent you. All right, boys. So you know I've struggled with pain, 
you know I've struggled with weight loss. You know I've struggled with anxiety and you know I've struggled with sleep. What if I told you there was a place that could help you with all of these things? True Life Dispensary, pain relief without narcotics, sleep, weight loss, anxiety relief. You can find this at 117 West Commerce Street in Hernando. Hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 7, Saturday, 10 to 5. So check them out and get your life turned around. Welcome back to the End Off the Bench podcast. We got some headlines for you. Leading off, we got some NBA basketball talk, Jim. And, you know, first, I just want to take a look, you know, at the standings. We'll we'll start with the East. Um, Tell me how good these teams are and are the top eight truly the top eight? And I'll give you some scenarios that have happened this week. So you got Brooklyn, who just lost to Chicago. They're number one. Number two, you got Chicago, who just beat Brooklyn, who's number one. Uh, number three, you got Milwaukee, and Giannis is out. Number four, you got Washington. Number five, you got Miami, who's, law, who's of their last ten, they're five and five. You got Cleveland, who's won four in a row, pretty hot right now. Boston, and then Charlotte, who now has four guys entering COVID protocol. So when you look at that top eight, you know, top to bottom, where they fall, I mean, obviously there could be a few changes, you know, with games finishing now and where they started at the beginning of the day. But, you know, who in your eyes is the top four seeds in that? Or is it still really a toss-up like it looks on paper? No, it's the top four. They have now positioned themselves. We we said that they were the top four. They hadn't gotten there yet. Milwaukee was one of them. They've now won nine of their last ten. Um, so they got to where we knew there would be. We've always talked about Brooklyn and Chicago and Miami. So now the four teams that we knew um, that were a tier above the rest of the teams are now in position. Yes, these other teams um, are probably playoff-worthy teams, but I don't think that – they're going to matter when it all comes to it. I'm not trying to just be dismissive, but those four, I mean, there's a reason why we've been talking about it. We obviously know what Brooklyn's got. Chicago loaded themselves, um, you know, last year and then in the offseason. Milwaukee, like you said, defending champ until they're beaten. Miami Heat, um, you know, not too far back from being in the finals. You got Jimmy Buckets, you know. So, I mean, those are the four teams. I think no matter who five through eight is, when they play them, they're going to send them all packing. So let me ask you this before we transfer over to the West. Of the teams that I'm about to name, which one ends up in the playoffs and which one does better in the playoffs if multiple teams end up there? The Wizards, the Celtics, the Hornets, the Cavaliers, the Hawks, and the Knicks. Which which of those teams make the playoffs and who does better in the playoffs the knicks the hawks the Cavs, the hornets the celtics or the wizards well i noticed you didn't have the sixers in there and they would be the one team that i would say that could pick an upset if they got healthy but you know i'm gonna i'm always gonna keep saying boston just because what tatum um and i think uh, brown's not done for the season is he he's only for a, a decent period of time so yeah so when you got tatum and brown um, I'm always going to say they have the potential to knock somebody off. So they're going to make it. The Sixers will make it. Um, I think the Hornets will make it. And, I mean, 
Washington, you know, Bradley Beal has, has been able to carry that team. Obviously, they, they're four and six in their last 10, but um, and lost three in a row, but he's been able to do it without Russ. Um, you know, I don't, I've, obviously, they picked up a bunch of other players, so it's not just Bradley Beal, but, you know, they, they have had success that they didn't have last year. Um, I'm a believer in him as a scorer and a leader on that team. Um, as a matter of fact, I got to pull it up because I'd be remiss if I didn't mention um, who the other guys are picked up because is one of the things that, that we talked about. Den Witty was one of them, um, and Harrell. Yeah. So I mean, and Kuzma, you got you got some you got some depth. You got some good players on the team. So um, the Wizards are going to make it. That's going to be your eight. And like I said, um, if there was a team that was going to pull an upset in the first round, which I don't think any of them will, like I said, it's got to be Philadelphia, right? Because if they get fully healthy, you're talking about a team that was in the top four. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard to count out the Hawks. They were there a year ago. They I'm, did it. I'm saying they don't even make it, DB. Well, and, and I, I could totally agree with that. I'm just saying, you know, it's it's hard to fathom that they couldn't do what they did last year. You know, I don't think the Cavaliers, just based on the past two weeks, we've seen them drop back now into ninth. They were in the top four um, at one point. Now they're in ninth. Charlotte now got four guys entering protocol. Like, you don't know what's going to happen, you know, over the next couple of weeks with them. Um, the Knicks just don't have an identity, I don't think. And so, yeah, it kind of leaves you with the Celtics, the Wizards, and and the the 76ers and obviously I think the the sexiest pick of those is the 76ers just based on what we know about them um but yeah I I would like to see the Wizards do something and I I think if there's a team that can do what the Hawks did last year um I think it's the Wizards I think people would sleep on them going in and I think they're figuring out how to win with what they got obviously let's say it ended today though I would not I mean Miami is not a team they want to deal with. <laughs> no, but when you look at the two records, you know, as a whole, both of them are five, you know, at 500, a little above 14 and 11. They're both of their last 10, four and six. And the Heat just lost to a Grizzlies team. And, and granted, the Grizzlies are a little hot right now, but they don't, have, they don't, they don't have their best player in their, their beaten teams. But I, I guess that's a good segue into the West. You know, we talk I wanna, about. The- I want to ask you. No, I want to ask you that instead of you bring it to me. I want to ask you that because you're the actual Grizz fan. Explain to me how you win five in a row without your best player, DB. The only thing that I can say is that your bench rotations get a little bit different, and guys that current that get limited minutes are now getting extended minutes, and they're actually producing. Um, but you also got guys like, you know, like Anderson, who has played significant roles for the Grizzlies in the past. that's having to step up and play a role. Um, Dylan Brooks obviously is back healthy and, and he's able to carry a brunt of the load. You got Triple J, who's, you know, he could be a superstar one game and be an average player. But, um, you know, you got you got guys like Brandon Clark and these guys coming off the bench just, you know, holding court man they're they're doing what they have done in the past having you know good possessions scoring buckets getting rebounds and not really doing anything negative to hurt the team which when your best players out that's what you got to do um 
you know, there might be a little bit more balance in the offense with Ja out. There's not so much, you know, centered around him. Um, and I'll ask you, being a Westbrook fan, and you, you've been in that boat before where the offense was totally reliant on one person or even two, like, is this a good thing or a bad thing that, you know, we see the Grizzlies playing a little bit, a little better without Ja in the lineup? It's a good thing if Ja then realizes when he comes back that he is able to let them guys be more a part of what they do and realize that he doesn't have to shoulder the load. So it's all about how he comes back into that because we know that Russ is a stubborn guy and he still wants to do it all and he doesn't know how to dial it back. Does Ja have it in him to realize, hey, these guys showed me what they could do without me. So with me, if I do what I can and make sure to keep them incorporated and make sure that they're getting, you know, their shots get, we got the ball moving, everybody's getting in. And then the other thing he's going to have to do, Daniel, and this is something that, you know, Randy has said in our group message, the defense is significantly better. And we know Jaw's never been a defender. He's, you know, he's going to have to step it up defensively, you know, to keep the Grizzlies doing what they're doing. That, that would be the other thing. But I think, I think he is not Westbrook. I think he is not as, as egotistical, so to speak. And I think he'll realize, hey, man, I can I cannot have to do so much and, and I can lean into these guys. And, and this has been good for them. Um, we've talked about it. And I think the biggest one, you know, me and you talked about it when he got paid, Triple J, you know, through these games, he is he's been the man. And that's what you needed to happen. And so maybe maybe job in out of the way helped that. And then you can when you can put them together and then you got Brooks and Bain and the other guys. I mean, the Grizzlies are clicking, and the whole thing was all the media members around here said they just wanted them to stay within the top 10. Well, they have now put a four-game spot between them and the 11 spot, and so, you know, you're worried about just holding on, and you've now put yourself in a nice spot. I don't I don't foresee, unless you just all of a sudden have a collapse out of nowhere, and with the way they're playing, I don't think that's the case. And, you know, I'm looking at their schedule um, – it's a it's an up and down schedule with winnable games and losable games. I know I know they like seeing Houston and Oklahoma City um, in near future games after what they just did to Oklahoma City and how bad Houston is. Um, Dallas is going to be looking for a little payback. I will be in the forum Thursday night when the Lakers are in town, um, so I'll be taking an L there, unfortunately. Oh man, that's how it's going to be. They already oh, lost oh. the Lakers once this year. I'm just calling it like it is. Uh, I mean, we'll see. I, I think you're going to get a lot of whoop that trick. And I think you might get a uh, maybe a Russell Westbrook rest day or a LeBron James rest day. No, I've, I've already checked. Y'all, the Grizzlies are the ones that are actually going to be playing the back to back. The Lakers are not, so that's another advantage to the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, anytime you got the Lakers on the schedule, you know it's going to be a tough game, regardless of of who's playing. Well, and, the, and playing the Dallas, is. the playing Dallas the night before. I mean, the back to back does matter. That that's that's one thing that always sucks. Like, I mean, it's part it's part of basketball and it's part of the scheduling. But like, you always hate like you know when you one team is tired from the night before and then the other team's you know rested. You you like to see both teams fully rested, but you know that's part of the that's part of the game, unfortunately. 
Absolutely. Any any noteworthy things with the Lakers or any anything in the West before we move on? Um. Yeah. Like, uh, I just wanted to solidify. You know, I like to always say, you know, to my own horn when when I'm right about things. And the other night, Anthony Davis was an efficient ten for fifteen. Westbrook was four for eight. Only took eight shots. Only had two turnovers, and um, they still lost. And it was because of what I said. It was. It's never been about LeBron or Davis or Westbrook. It never is. It's about that bench unit and the other guys. And it's it's, it's not even about the role. Like people make a big deal about, you know, even like Westbrook in particular playing his role on the team. But I don't really think it's that. I think he's doing what he's what he should be doing. It, if he's taking eight shots and and only turning the ball over twice and distributing out nine assists. He's doing, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing within that role, but it's the other guys that have to do it. And unfortunately the other guys did not contribute very much and they still lack playing defense. That's, that's probably been the biggest knock. And, and, that, and that's a Russ where Russ and jaw have a similarity, right? Cause I know Russ is one of the guys not playing defense, but um, even when he comes out of the game, you know, uh, Monk and and Baysmore and all them there. I mean, they're not elite defenders either. So I mean, they got to find a way to tighten up that that defense. And especially let's use the Grizzlies as an example. I mean, they've been knocking down their perimeter shots, and that's where the Lakers are giving up a lot. So they better learn how to guard that three point line. Absolutely, or it's going to be a long night in the forum for but them speak, dudes. Speaking of three point line, man, um, dude. The Warriors and the Suns make me feel like every other team just doesn't even matter, and we just go ahead and get to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I mean, you, you got the the Suns beating the Warriors. You got both of them nineteen and four. Um, it's it's interesting to me because you look at what the Jazz did last year and you think back, all right, does that even does does having the best record in the NBA in the regular season even matter? For yeah, well, these for these two teams, I think it does. Well I for, and I think there's no team that probably plays better at home, at least over the last what five, six years, than Golden State. Yeah, I mean look they're currently they've only lost two games at home. We know who one of those teams was, but um, but even it's so early right now that four losses, they don't, they're, they're playing just as well away as they are at home. Um, you know, it's just, and, and, and here's the crazy, they're not even a hundred percent yet. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the crazy part. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's beginning to look a lot like a golden state Phoenix like duel over the the rest of this regular but you know what's cool you 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 talked about those top four in the east right and when you look at golden state and phoenix specifically like and i almost wish you could you didn't have to wait till the finals for the meet because the reason i said is because you got some defensive minded heavy teams up there in the east right like obviously brooklyn's not it but when you talk about the Bulls and the Bucks and the Heat, they they play defense, and like you almost wish like those matchups could happen with those top teams from the West, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, it, it's it's too bad there's not like a, a middle of the year tournament where you take the top 16 teams and you seed them out based on their win-loss records for both conferences and you just have like a intermix like mid-year tournament that'd be pretty cool. i've been a big fan when they proposed it last year the year before talking about just picking the top 16 based on record and then seeding them out i'm actually a huge fan of that i don't think it'll ever happen but i wish it would it yeah i think it up too it, it would make scheduling a nightmare um but i mean i don't think it's far from impossible um but yeah, that'd be be interesting to see. Because but, uh, I mean, if you think about it, if if you laid it out that way, as opposed to the Grizzlies playing the Clippers, which is a typical matchup you see, it'd be something like when we were just talking about the Grizzlies and like the the Wizards. Something different. True. Yeah, I, I I could get down with something like that. Um, you know, a a bucket list wishful thinking idea probably will never happen but who knows speaking um, of bucket list since you're going to transition can memphis get a win on my bucket list well we're, we're going to get to them the first thing i want to do is break down the top 10 teams because i think there's a lot of like it's early enough but it's it's far enough along to where i want to ask you who you think of the top 10 and I'll give you the top 10, Purdue. Purdue, and I'll give you a little resume to go with it. So Purdue's number one. Purdue is 7-0. and They've had wins against Villanova and North Carolina. Second, you got Baylor, 8-0. Um, third, you got Duke. Duke has had wins against Gonzaga, but had a bad loss to Ohio State. Not that Ohio State's a slouch team, but they were unranked. So we'll call it what it is. Um, Number four, you got UCLA. UCLA beat Villanova, but then lost by 20, got blown out the gym to Gonzaga. Uh, in the five spot, you got Gonzaga, who obviously had two losses, one at Duke and then uh, one at Ala against Alabama, where Alabama, I think, shot 99% from the field. <laughs> like they, they, were, they were on fire. Um, in the sixth spot, you got Villanova. Now, Villanova has, you know, you know, traditionally been really well, really good. They're six and two, but their two losses are against ranked opponents. You got Texas at seven, Kansas at eight, Alabama, who went from 16, 17-ish last week up to number nine. They're seven and one. Um and then rounding out the top 10, you got the Kentucky Wildcats, who, to be honest, have been very – there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of crickets around Kentucky. I haven't heard much about Kentucky and seen much about Kentucky, but there they are in the top 10. So my question to you, Jim, is knowing that top 10, knowing a little bit about those resumes, which of those teams makes it the furthest? Well, first of all, I got a question for you because you ask me this question all the time. Who won the championship last year? Hey, we we all know who won that championship, and you are the champion until somebody beats you. But the so, Baylor Bears are the <laughs> champions, and they're sitting in two. Right. So I, I think 
right now you got I'm not saying I'm not saying necessarily the favorite, but I mean when you got a team sitting up there at eight and and they're the defending national champion, you I mean they they hold they hold the respect. And you know, I, I think for me, you know, um Purdue obviously has earned their spot, but I think I think Baylor is definitely a scary team. Um here here's the first team I want to focus on. I'm gonna drop down to five. Gonzaga. All right, so you always they go through the regular season and they beat up on everybody. And then you got to worry about what they do in the tournament. Let me ask you this. Do you think, and, and their wins were to quality teams, which some would say, well, that's the scary thing because if they can't beat the quality teams in the regular season, well, then really what are they going to do in the tournament? But do you think actually sustaining some losses and some adversity in the regular season might help a team that traditionally just runs through undefeated in the regular season? In this case, yes, because the losses are to Duke and Alabama, who are two teams that you know are going to be in the tournament. So um, when you have early losses to those teams, you, you know that you got some things to work on. You know you can compete, but, you know, they, they, ha- they, they were in the game with Duke for the most part. And, you know, with Alabama, you know that Gonzaga can compete. But when they shot the ball the way that they do, it had nothing to do with defense. I mean, there were probably some breakdowns defensively, but, I mean, they were just making shots. So, yeah, I think, you know, when you lose to teams like those caliber of teams, yeah, that's that, those are fine losses early. You don't want to set yourself up to have losses like that later in the season and then go, well, you know, we needed to lose. No, I don't necessarily think late in the season you need to lose, regardless of whatever your record is. but early as long as you can bounce back and learn something from it and, and modify and make adjustments. I think you'll see Gonzaga, you know, do that. I think Mark Few is a very good coach. He's not going to let these guys uh, get beat the same way that they got beat in those games. Um, so I'll, but, I'll say, I'll say this then, you know, as I'm looking at, cause I'm looking past just the top 10, but I'm the, it, it relates to the, and answering your question about the top 10, you know, I made a I made a comment to you and boy did it blow up my face. I said something about is the Big Ten, you know, making a case for being the best conference in basketball. And now you see Purdue up there lonely as, you know, Michigan and Illinois and the other teams have fell out. I mean, they're not those teams aren't even in the top twenty-five anymore. Right. Meanwhile, the SEC has uh eight, eight teams in the top twenty-five. So, um, yeah, that that clearly makes them the best conference in college basketball. Um, and so I say that to say that Purdue um, should be able to dominate their their conference and being that and they got the signature wins already. I think they're a team that may stay up there at the top. Um, obviously, I feel the same way about Baylor. Um, so, I mean, I, I think those to answer your question, those are the two clear cut favorites. You know, when you get to Alabama and Kentucky, like I just said, there's eight SEC teams. They may end up all beating up on each other. Um, Kansas, Texas, um, you know, I need to see it to believe it. They're, I mean, they're up there all the time, but they haven't been getting it done as of recently. Um, I was a big believer in UCLA I, I, because one of the few games that I've watched amongst these teams was that game against Gonzaga. Like, it's like, ugh, like I, I got that taste in my mouth. Um, so give me Purdue and Baylor is, is who I'm believing in. Um, 
Duke, Duke, I'm a, I'm a believer in in the sense of it's Duke, but man, just the last few years in the tournament, they've absolutely shit the bed. So like, I don't know. I, 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 I can't. Just, I I don't think I can handle Duke winning a championship. Yeah, so I I'm just, gonna go with the. I'm gonna go with the. I'm gonna go with the top two is is the right top two, and it's the teams that I think are the favorites. Not not simply because they are only the top two, but because I think they really are the top two. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I rest on my laurels of saying that, you know, you're the champion until you get beat. And Baylor, in my eyes, is a champion until they get beat. I see them making a deep run and, and being there at the end. Um, but I will say, you know, Purdue is no slouch. I've I've actually had a chance to watch a few Purdue games. And they're unbelievable. Team basketball through and through. They know how to win. They got great athleticism, great players. You got Jaden Ivey, Travion Williams, uh, the big Edney kid who's just a monster down low. Like, these guys can flat out play. Um, so it, those guys, I think, I, I wish they played, you know, and, and maybe the conference gets better, um, you know, but Baylor, I think, is going to play a better, probably a better caliber team in the conference. Uh, so we'll see, but you know, my money's on Baylor because that—that's—that's that's what I believe in. You're the champ until you get beat. So, uh, we, we we talked about teams inside the top 25, you know, specifically in the top 10. But let's talk about the team, the hometown team that has dropped out of the top 25, which in a matter before, of three games. Which before we get into them, when you do look at this top 25, what hits you is they play number nine, they play number. 13 and they play number 14 and that's a scary thought well it it can be it can be double-sided it can be scary but it actually can be uplifting it can be opportunistic you could you can atone for the sins that you have made if you can just say take two out of three of those you don't even have to take two out of three you can go to nashville and beat this team right here and, and you can write a lot of wrongs over the past week. What if? Hundred percent. What if? What if? And this is this is a hypothetical because I mean, with the way we've been playing, you don't even think you could be one of them with the way they're playing. We know they have the capability, but 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 you know what I'm saying. But I mean, could you imagine after losing those three games and everybody? I mean, you listen to local radio; it's hard to even listen to. You can't even follow Twitter. I mean, the the hate for. Certain players, obviously, the the criticism of Penny is 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 hard to just listen to. And what if they just turned around and beat Tennessee and Alabama? That'd be wild. It, in true Memphis fashion, it wouldn't surprise me, but it's not very realistic. Um, just given what I've seen in the past the past seven games, I it I don't. I don't feel like we're a good basketball team right now. I think we have the pieces to be a good basketball team. Um, but they they remind me, you ever seen one of those like slide puzzles where you have to slide the pieces until they all match up and wow. it makes the picture? That's what it is, but yet we our pieces aren't in the right order. You can kind of tell what the picture is supposed to be but the order at which to make it a complete picture isn't there. 
And I still think we're waiting for that to happen. Now, Penny has said, you know, in, in post-game interviews that when he plays the guys that want to be team guys, they are getting better. How much of that I believe, I, I don't know. I'm not the coach. I'm not there at practice. I don't know. What I do know is that why are the guys that don't want to be team guys, why are they playing to begin with? Right. And well, if, I, they, if they aren't playing, then it, that's not the player's fault. That is 100% the coach's fault. Well, let me tell you, I listened to Gary Parrish today, and we've been talking about these teams at the top. How many guys do you think are in the Purdue rotation? Probably seven. It's eight. How many do you think are in the Duke rotation? Probably the same, seven or eight. Eight. He ran through, and Purdue was the only one that wasn't eight, and it was nine. And he broke down the minutes of those guys, whereas Memphis has 11 guys, and they're all averaging at least, what do you say, I want to say nine minutes, eight minutes. No other team is doing that. And so Penny clearly is doing something opposite of all the teams winning. And so one of the things I thought that was said well today, and I was able to put it to a good analogy as an LSU football fan. So what did we know? Coach O is not an X's and O's guys. He's a recruiter and a leader of men, right? And Penny is that same thing. Meanwhile, you got guys on that bench Larry Brown, who can coach. And, co and so at what point do you put your ego aside? Because the LSU, it was Joe Brady and Dave Miranda doing all the play calling, taking care of business. Oh, just had to do his job as leading after it because, you know, he had done did the recruiting. Benny's recruited these guys in. He can be their leader, but he doesn't need to be the one making the decision in game. Would you agree? Yeah, I don't – with the coaching expertise that is on that bench, being outcoached or not having an answer for certain things that are happening or failing at the coaching aspect should never be in the equation, ever. There, I, there, there are no excuses for a lack of coaching or getting outcoached. That, that's – you don't bring those guys and make a point to have certain guys like Larry Brown, like, like Rasheed Wallace, like Cody Topper on the staff. If, if you're getting out coach, you just don't like, you, you gotta be better. You can't point the blame. You gotta start taking it on yourself. And I get it. Like they're like free throws. Guys have to make free throws turnovers. Guys can't turn the ball over. But adjustments and playing the right guys, that is on the coach. Do you know who's averaging the most minutes? Alex Lomax. And do you know who the number one guy that everybody said Alex. shouldn't be playing on the floor? <laughs> Alex Lomax. His assist to turnover ratio is one to one. One to one. And, and as a point guard, that it can't be that. I love I love Alex Lomax to death, but if it's about winning basketball, 
you can't turn the ball over. You just can't. And you got to be more productive, you know, and if you're doing those things and you're leading in minutes, like the result, it is what it is now. So, so give me, so give me your five starters and give me your three. Let's say we do like every other team in the country that's winning. Give me your three off the bench, your five starters. So it's it's difficult because I don't know who when Penny says there's guys that aren't buying in veteran guys, and those were the guys that were eating up the minutes. Like I don't really know who he's talking about. So I'm basing my starting five off of what I'm seeing. So I can tell you Earl Timberlake should be starting. Josh Minot should be starting. Jalen Duran should be starting. I don't know about Lester. I have a feeling that he's one that Penny's talking about, but I would have Lester start. And then I would also have I would have Lander starting. So Amani Baker's not starting. Amani looks lost right now. He came off the bench and looked a lot better in the last game. So I would use him um, to come off the bench. I would use Malcolm Dandridge to come off the bench. And, and really, you know, after that, it's kind of a toss-up on on who's practiced well, who's playing well, who's trending well, and really what the matchup is. But I think it's got to be Tyler Harris right now. Yeah, he's been playing well. And I, I really would like to have him in the starting lineup. I just feel like with him, his size is limiting, and you need him to be able to shoot. I think he's better served coming off the bench as a shooter than putting him in the role of a point guard and having him facilitate the offense and then going, oh, on top of that, we need you to shoot the ball as well. I, just, I, don't, I don't think that's his thing. Um, so, yeah, like those, those are my eight that I – that would be my rotation, my eight guys now. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's, that's where I sit. I'm good, I'm good with that eight. Um. So you you cutting you cutting Hardaway out, you're cutting Lomax out. Um, we've talked about it before. Uh, Lawson just doesn't look right when he's out there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I definitely, for me, it's hard um, with Amani Bates because I just know the potential. But you're right, he's not living up to it. So. Um, maybe you never know. Sometimes uh, taking a little pressure off him coming off the bench, or maybe just that little, you know, that that kick that he needs to realize, hey man, you know, you're not doing what you need to be doing, and maybe it gives him a little spark. But I'm I'm perfectly fine with the eight. I, I hope that he's not talking about Lester. Um, obviously, I've I've made no hiding about it that that that's my favorite dude out there and. I haven't been able to watch as much as you, but when I do see highlights, unless I'm just getting clip the wrong clips, I mean, I'm seeing him knock down open shots and I'm seeing him defend well. So I don't know. Maybe I'm see I'm not seeing the bad parts. Well, I mean, it's 
you know, I'll give you an example. There, there were times on offense last game where he would run down, he would stand in the corner, and he would just stand there. No movement, no nothing. Now, there were reports that he was, wasn't feeling well and he wasn't 100%. Um, but if that's the case and that's the effort you're getting as a coach, why are, why are we playing that guy? Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Landers is, is a big cog into the leadership on the team if he wants to be. Um, I think he's got the talent. He's got the athleticism. He's got the swagger. He's got the confidence to go out there and play with anybody. It's just, does he, does he want it? And, and that's a question that only the coaches can answer in him. So, um, you know, he, here's where I'll leave it is if things don't drastically improve between now and Friday night, Murray State's going to run them off the court because you, you realize for Murray State, this is a Super Bowl game, right? This is a statement game. This is, you know, we, we're going to prove that we can beat those guys. Um, I mean, along with other teams that we play throughout the course of the year. And th this isn't like a, a, a Texas Tech, you know, this isn't like, a, you know, a Jackson State or a Jacksonville team or any of those other non-conference games that we, we build in because we think, you know, we got a good chance to play a lot of people and win. This is a team that's been in the NCAA tournament many times. This is a team that has produced guys with the likes of Ja Morant. Never heard of him. I, I know, right? So, like, we're not, like, if we go out there playing checkers, they're going to be playing chess, and it ain't going to be a fun yeah. game to watch. So, Well, Daniel, I got an interesting stat for you that I want to tell you in regards to Memphis. I was saving this for the last thing I was going to tell you. I've had to unfollow six friends. A few of them are probably mutual because one of the things we talked about, especially when we were going through college baseball, I won't stand for – making it personal against these kids or a legend like Penny Hardaway. I don't care if he is struggling and I don't care if some of these kids are struggling. You're not going to sit there and talk bad about them. And you're, we talked about it. I mean, I don't know who listens to the back end of this. So, I, you know, I don't like to cuss, but I mean, they're just a douchebag asshole. If you're going to talk about 17, 18, 19 year old kids. And if you're going to talk about a living legend of Memphis, um, in a personal way it's it's a it's a game and you know they're making mistakes but let's not make it personal and that's that's bothering me. people in memphis are so upset about what they're seeing right now that they're taking it personally yeah and that that's always been the the bad rap that memphis gets is the the passion that we have for the sports in the city especially at the university of memphis runs so deep and so high that it can be a very powerful and a very good thing, but it can also be deteriorating to the program and detrimental to the to just the fun and the and the love that we have for for supporting that team. So yeah, like I I can understand why like you unfollow them, you don't want any of that. And and I'll be honest, like I try to steer away from negative criticism as much as possible. I try to stick to just factual things that I see and stats. Um, you know, I try not to be disrespectful to anybody and I try not to say things demeaning to 
anybody in particular about a game and it's a game it, it really is um you know because that, what does that do like i've never coached a single basketball game in my life and for me to be able to go out there and demean people for that like who am i yeah and then when we've talked about that and that and that was something that was we've said a million times i mean no fan base is unique they all do it and you just hate to see it because it's people you know and it's a hometown and it's like man you got to support these guys and and hope that they find a way through this. So let's let's not tear them down and make the situation worse. Absolutely. So we're gonna transition over to college football, and we're not gonna spend a lot of time on college football. Here, here's what I'm gonna tell you. Um, we did conference championships last week. That was our pick'em. Um, here's how the results went. You went. You got five out of eight games correct yeah i got five out of eight games correct so your five that you got correct you had utah over oregon you had baylor over oklahoma state you had cincinnati over houston you had michigan over iowa and you had pittsburgh over wake forest the five that i got right i had utsa winning i had utah state winning i had alabama winning i had cincinnati winning and i had michigan winning um, last week you had a score of 29. You take your five from this week, you got a total of 34 points. Not too shabby. Um, last week I had a score of 36. You take and add my five points for this week. I got a score of 41. So right now I got 41 and you got 34. But if we're there's not a gonna... way to make up ground, I know we're not gonna do it right now, but if there's a way to make up ground, it's all these bowl games. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna give you a week. Friday, December seventeenth is the first bowl game. We got some time, so next Monday on this podcast, that's what we're gonna do. It's gonna give you some time to look at some lines, and I'll ask you: Do you want to go off of point spreads, or do you want to go strictly off of just picking them heads up? Well, let's go pick them because then that's gonna be too much work for you to even try to figure out wins and losses. Yeah, you know, them. I appreciate that. Um, so you, this is your chance with all these ball games. You have a chance to, to get back in the game. You have a chance to take over and in the, in the year, uh, with the wins. Do I get extra points if I pick Cincinnati to beat Alabama? Uh, we'll talk about playoffs. We might, <laughs> we might, uh, we, we, we might go more points for those games, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. You, you know, me and you, you, me and you've been on the, uh, the all sports, uh, all plays network. And I got on there and, and Randy was disappointed in me. I, uh, I talked up Cincinnati and I talked up Cincinnati. And then when they asked me to pick, I was like, Alabama, <laughs> I couldn't do you it. Could, you couldn't do it. Uh, and I understand that. I, I can see why, you know, I tried to make myself believe like I was, I was, I was working so hard convincing three other guys. And then when it was time to pick, I didn't even pick it. Man, you, you set them up just to, to jump off the cliff that's oh man you're better than that all right let's talk nfl um let's let's go back to last week's game um and so let, let me pull them up i mean we we had a we had a fantasy 
matchup of battle. I know you don't want to talk about it. The Patriots ended up beating the Bills in Monday Night Football tonight. Um, you know, the, the Patriots were, uh, they were getting three points, and they ended up getting that. They ended up winning by four. Um, you actually picked the Patriots in the pick them. So you'll get yours. I picked Buffalo, so I will not be getting points for that. Shocker. Um, Cowboys and the Saints. Do you Cowboys remember I did that to hedge my bet? That was one of those hedge ones. Yeah, uh, and that was a good call. Good call on your part. You took the Saints uh, getting four and a half. The Cowboys won by ten. The Cowboys covered. I obviously picked the boys. You know that. I get some points for that. You do not. Uh, the Bucks and the Falcons, we both took the Bucks to cover 11, and they covered 11. So they, they beat the, the Falcons 30-17. to 17. Um, Another good game for Tom Brady, throwing a few touchdown passes. Bronk looked good. I mean, it was, it was a solid win for the Bucs. Um, you know, we, we jumped down and we had the, the, the Ravens uh, Steelers game. You went with the Ravens, who was giving three and a half, and I went Ravens giving three and a half. So we both lost that game because the Ravens. Uh, I don't know what you can you. I watched walk, that game in its entirety. Can you walk me through the end of that? Like, I, I don't know. I, I here's why. Here's why I like the call. Okay, the Steelers' defense was phenomenal that game. They were keeping they were keeping Lamar at bay, and they sacked him seven times. And I think when you look at that offense, that's a team that you feel like can get a two-point conversion at any time. They can, they can get you three yards. And so I don't think you want to extend that game out anymore. So you go ahead and try to win it there instead of go overtime. I like the call. I like the play call because it should have actually scored. It, 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 the receiver dropped it. So, like, Baltimore made the right call. They made the right play. It just – it just didn't work out in their favor because um, the Steelers played a hell of a game. And the defensively, they had the right scheme. The The Steelers, Big Ben, that's the best game I've seen him play. He dropped multiple dumps. As a matter of fact, that game wouldn't even been that close if Deontay Johnson, ironically, who had two touchdown catches, should have had three. He had a ball that was dropped perfect in his hands on a 50-yard pass that I couldn't believe it because Ben doesn't just drop dimes like that anymore. Put it right in the breadbasket. He dropped it. But Ben looked really good because Baltimore was stuffed in the run. And then the Steelers played great. Even it was, it was a good game. It was one of those games where you – so this is what the Steelers do to you recently, right, in the last year or two, um, because they're not the Steelers of old. You watch a game, and they'll, and they'll do a game like this where Tomlin coaches so well, Ben plays so well, and you think, man, the Steelers can contend. I don't know who the Steelers play next week. We'll find out when we look at the games. But I'll tell you this, Daniel, they're going to lose. Because they do this, they they do this. They've done they it. They set few you times up. To, yeah. They started um, the season first game that way. Of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, I don't know who they are, but I know the Ravens. They showed what happens. What what I've consistently talked about. They did not. The game plan was to not let Lamar run, and they did not let Lamar run. You were going to have to beat via pass, and he didn't do it. And it's 
And it's the reason why I've always said that the Ravens aren't going to be able to win a Super Bowl because ultimately when they stack the box and they say beat us passing, they can't do it. Yeah, it, it, having Lamar Jackson on my fantasy league team uh, makes it tricky how I navigate the next couple of weeks because um, I need to win, but I also have Joe Burrow on the bench who, depending on the day, could give you 30 points or he could give you 12. So uh, same thing with Lamar. But to finish up our picks from this week, you, you speaking of, of, of Joe Burrow, um, you took the Bengals. I took the, the Chargers. I ended up getting points for that game. The Chargers uh, were getting three points from the Bengals. So they, they, they put it on them. And then finally, uh, Dolphins, Giants. You took the, the Dolphins giving three points. I took the Giants getting three points. Dolphins won. Um, so you got the points. We both finished three and three for the week. Um, your record improved to 36 and 23 for the season. My record improved to 30 and 23 for the season with this slate of games coming up. So um, let's get to it. Week 14, December 8th through 14th. Before we make um, our picks, man, shout out to the Detroit Lions for getting a victory on a hot Vikings team at that. Absolutely. Beating them up, beating them down, and and throwing a throwing a touchdown at the end of the game. To, and, and and look at that! I, I had no idea that was a Thursday night game. So I just told you the Steelers just won a game, and they're going to lose to every place. So the Vikings, I'm going to tell you right now. Look, when we get to because we're going to pick this game just because the Vikings just lost their Lions, and they're going to turn around and beat a Steelers team that just beat the Ravens, and then everybody's going to be like, I just don't understand teams week to week. All right. Well, I. You are in first place. I am in second. I will defer my, my first pick to you if you'd like it, or I, I can take it. What would you like? I'm, I'm already going to tell you, looking at this list, we're taking those first three games, and we're taking the opposite team on all of them, and I'm so excited because this is, this is either the week where I, I cement this thing and put you away, or you catch up to me completely. But we'll start with that top game. Give me the Vikings. You're going to take the Vikings. The Vikings are giving three. You know, uh, I really want to take the Steelers here, but three. It was anything more than three, I think I would take it. But just to humor you, I'm going to take the Steelers. Um, I am. I, I'm. I'm Go not convinced. I'm not convinced that a Vikings team that just lost to the Lions can beat the team that I saw. Well, you need Justin Sunday. Jefferson to just wreck the Steelers anyway. <laughs> very true. Very true. But I'll, I'll humor you and I'll go Steelers. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be a – it could be a – it could be a, 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 a victory by one point, by 30 points, as long as the Vikings have a lot of points and it's all touchdowns to Justin Jefferson. Man, he was um, huge this week again. Yep, absolutely. Um, give me the Cowboys for sure. Red, or wait, Washington football team, Antonio Gibson, Memphis, University of Memphis. Going to have a huge game. I need him. Uh, Tony Pollard, University of Memphis. Going to have a huge game. Anyways, moving on. All right, game three. That should Bills. be that should be a storyline here in Memphis, by the way. 
because he's Good. he's now getting the bulk of the carries more than Zeke, especially because Zeke looks hobbled. I mean, Tony Pollard may not be the starter, but he gets more carries, and he's obviously your third down back. So at, you're uh, actually looking at a game where you're well, he plays special teams. He he's gonna catch the ball out of the backfield. He's gonna get you know. So the carries. point is, he's on the field more. So you got a game in which basically you could basically say your two premier running backs are Memphis football players. Yep. There's one thing that Memphis knows how to do that's kicking and running. So uh Bills and Bucks. Bills and Bucks. I will take the Bucks. Give me the Bucks. Here's why I'm gonna take the Bills. Because you need Josh Allen to do something for you. No, this actually isn't a fantasy thing. They now have positioned themselves to where they're actually putting themselves in trouble. They can't afford to lose another one, or they're going to be – they're going to go from a team that was a favorite to represent the AFC to a team that's going to be holding, like, the last wild card spot if they lose. True. All right, who you got Backs next? against the wall. Um, I want those uh, Saints over the Jets. Oh. Oh. Saints. Thanks for getting hey, some. five and a half. Hey, some. Give me the dude, Jets. Dude. I'm I'm taking the Jets. You see the Saints took another hit? Who now? Harris is suspended for three games. I ain't even read why yet. I just seen he suspended three games. So now we're down our punt returner and our number two receiver. It's literally Taysom's literally gonna have to will this day. Kamara better play this week. If Kamara doesn't play this week, Daniel. Um, it got talked about on the um, the show was on 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 ASAP. Um, that he's supposed to have been clear for two weeks now, and he hasn't. And you know, Michael Thomas bugged out. I'm almost starting to wonder if Kamara's doing the same thing. And if he doesn't play this week, I'm convinced that he's decided to call it quits on this season. Maybe. We'll we'll see. I hope not for your sake. Um, all right, who you got next? What's your next game? You want to jump down here to this one? I know we got to pick that one. If you don't do this one, I will. But um. uh, since I know you're going to pick that one, I'll let you have that one. All right, I'm doing this. Give me because I just want to. I just want to do this because Justin Herbert. Give me the Giants to not let the Chargers cover the ten and a half. Chargers will win that game. They're not covering the ten and a half. I mean that's a a safe bet, but you're you're taking the Chargers. No, the I'm taking the Giants because I don't uh, think the Chargers are going to cover ten and a half. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that I means if they win by uh, ten, I get this. Being a Cowboys fan, I got to go Chargers. I need the Giants to lose every game possible. I've picked I, up I, on something about old Justin Herbert. He's in that? every he's in every other game guy. He, he ain't playing the Giants. He, he, he's playing the Giants. Come on now. The Giants have improved. The Giants have improved. Oh, I didn't want nothing to do with that 49ers-Bengals game. I I could have picked the Packers yeah. because they probably will cover there with Bears. That seemed boring, and you already said we were doing the Rams and Cardinals, so that was the game that spoke to me. All right, so Rams and Cardinals. Cardinals. Give me Rams. I mean, we're just – I mean, I might as well go opposite of you. And Are we opposite on all of them? 
Every single one of this them. This is it. This is it. Watch it. I'll probably go three and three. But but Rams if one are of us, getting three and Cardinals are giving three. It'll probably go three and three or four and two, and it won't be much change. But one of us could possibly go six and zero. Oh, and like I said, I can either cement this thing or you could probably be close to tied up. Well, we'll we'll see what happens. But I uh, I think that. I think you got a pretty good chance this week, to be honest. I, I, I needed to make up some ground, and I, I can't keep waiting week after week to try to do it. So this is as good of a week as any to draw my line in the sand and see what happens. But all right, man, let's move on. Last call before we get out of here. What you got for me? Yeah, um, you know how I am about promoting um, our guest, uh, Eric Anders, man. It's fight week. UFC 269. So check out your boy. He's going to be fighting this weekend on Saturday. Um, I can't actually tell you where they're streaming from. I don't know if it's an ESPN, if it's pay-per-view, but I do know he's fighting. I do know he's in the UFC and I do know he's our boy. And so check out Eric Anders if you get a chance. Um, You know, on a sad note, our uh, Kentucky volleyball ladies lost, but um, nonetheless, um, a good season. Um, Johnny and Maddie will be back next year. We'll be looking for for big things. Uh, but I hate to end on a sour note, but uh, we really enjoyed having Allie on, and and uh, you know those those girls still had a good season, so we're proud of them. And then I think that's uh, I think that's about it, man. You know, I just like to I like to shout them out, and I, I look forward to every guest that we have come on when they play like it's just like kaya johnson they just had their um their debut man she stuck it as you would expect um off the vault got me pumped up and they're just a short month away before they're competing daniel man that's gonna be awesome can't wait for that to start up um just to reiterate what you're saying ufc 269 is on pay-per-view december 11th uh, the headline match, Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier, uh, title fight, and you got our boy Eric Anders taking on Andre Muniz for the middleweight bout. So um, check it out if you get a chance. Check out pay-per-view. Nice card all the way around. Um, you know, we get a, It's awesome when our guys get a chance to, to showcase their skills. So I'll be. Oh, forward. and you did see, speaking of fighters, uh, Jaleel did get that contract renewed with Bellator. So shout out. Go ahead, Jaleel. Shout out to the realist doing his thing. Shout out to your boy, Eric, um, getting ready to, to lay it down this weekend. For me, last call, what you want? You want the power five? You want the not so powerful five? Hmm. Go ahead and give me that not power five. Not power five. You got Duke basketball. They have a big win over Gonzaga and then turn around and and, and hand it right back with a loss to Ohio State. Um, at number four, you got Georgia football. Georgia powerhouse. The entire year, they step foot with a chance to really show their dominance over Alabama and show that they are what people thought they were, the best team in the SEC, and that wasn't the case. They ended up losing big. Uh, Alabama, uh, Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy. It's it's the same story on repeat. Just can't win the big one. Um, number two, you got Oklahoma City Thunder, the Grizzlies. 
I mean, they uh, did Oklahoma City even get off the bus? Um, you know, beat them by 70, 70 something points, man. It's largest and, deficit. And you know what the coolest part about that is, Daniel? I was going through Twitter and Instagram, and we're not talking about just Memphis people. I'm talking about every athlete that I follow, every analyst I follow was either tweeting a meme or a thought or whatever. The Grizzlies, if I probably would have actually like looked to click, I th- I'm willing to bet the Grizzlies were like the number one trending sports topic, period. And that's always a good thing, and especially when you're on the good end of it. Yeah, especially when your best player isn't playing and now right. we're drawing attention to a team. Come on now, that's give me all that. Um, and coming in at number one, it's no surprise, University of Memphis basketball. Um, I don't want to talk too much on it. Got a game Friday. They can easily come off this list with a dominant performance on Friday. Daniel, um, I got you a 1B. I got you a 1B. I can't believe i just seen this come up on TV. This was the difference in me beating you in fantasy. Did you know they just brought this up on TV? That drop by Stefan Diggs for a touchdown, he had won 116 straight targets without a drop, and he dropped the one that would have helped me beat you in fantasy. That's number 1B. Um, good thing this is my list, so that's not number one B. So, uh, Memphis basketball be one A, B, C, D, all the way to Z for until next Friday. Next Friday, they can write the ship, and I hope they do. Uh, our power five coming in at number five, the Grizzlies. I mean, you, you take John Morant out of the lineup, you expect them maybe to drop and, and, and lose some ground, but they're actually playing better and they're playing stronger. and I, I can't explain it. I don't know if anybody can, but they're they're playing unbelievable right now. They got two big ones coming up this week. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Um, coming in at number four, Memphis women's basketball. A, a story that not a lot of people are talking about. A team that has struggled in recent years. Get a new coach. You turn around and they're they're kicking ass. So shout out to Memphis women's basketball. Keep doing what you're doing. Coming in at number three, the Alabama Crimson Tide, the football team. They, you know, and we've even said it here, not the best Alabama team that we've seen, but definitely went out there and showed why they are the top of the top. Um, Coming in at number two, Michigan Wolverines. Everyone expected Michigan two weeks ago to lose to Ohio State because they said Jim Harbaugh couldn't win the big one. They ended up dominating that game. They went into the Big Ten championship game, um, ended up dominating that game, a game that people thought they would, you know, choke on, and they didn't. Um, and then in the number one spot, the team outside the Power Five that has now solidified their spot in the college football playoff, Cincinnati, uh, in at number one, completing their undefeated season, and now they have a chance to, to prove it. Let me um, ask you a question. Luke Fickle, man, how much respect do you have for that guy for turning down all the power five jobs and saying he was focused on Cincinnati and winning a championship? We always talk about friends over money, right? And obviously this isn't friends. This is, this is a team, but it's the same kind of thing, right? He took the loyalty to his team and trying to win a championship at Cincinnati over a lot of money. I think Luke Fickle is a different guy because he's been in the seat at the highest, one of the highest universities that you could be in and he knows how the game is played. 
He knows he got a taste of it. And he knows that being in the, given the chance to win a national championship isn't something that happens all the time. So I think it was probably important for him, timing-wise, to be able to complete his tenure um, at Cincinnati, regardless of what opportunities were open for him. But he also, in his back pocket, knows Cincinnati's moving to a bigger conference. So the opportunity to get back there and hold on to recruits and recruit at higher high levels and, and maintain the the status that they they've garnered themselves over the past few seasons uh will still be able to remain intact if they continue this trend and upward progression how long will he stay at cincinnati it it really comes down to what sec job comes open to be honest and um you would think that notre dame probably took the guy that they did on staff because Luke Fickle wasn't going to take that job. No. So, so you know, I, I think, you know, shout out to Luke Fickle. Shout out to what he's done. Um, you know, I, I, as, a, as a proponent of the American Conference and an advocate of the American Conference, I, I hope they can go and shock the world. But I will tell you, I don't think it's very likely. But for this week, they are number one, man. And with that... Let's get out of here. Let's let's wrap this thing up, man. Another amazing episode. I want to thank Steve Robertson for joining us. And always remember, if you like hearing us average Joes talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, your comments, ratings, and feedback is always welcome. We're going to see everyone next week for episode 14. We got a family chat going on with two champs. We got all things Atlanta Braves. We're going to talk World Series championship with Austin Riley. And we also got all things Mississippi State with national champion Cameron James. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, grit and grind all the time. We're out.